Welcome back. It's been a while, but welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap. Mike Donahue is here, and we have a special edition today. Mike, how are you doing? Great, Andy. Happy to be uh, back on the microphone with my hot takes, um, especially tonight. So now, did you get invited, as a season ticket holder, did you get invited to the uh, circle jerk that they held for themselves tonight, where they gave the Ricketts family gave themselves a plaque for being such great stewards of their ballpark, and they unveiled uh, the most half-assed Hall of Fame in any franchise's history? Did you get I assume, you I I assume we got invited. My, the tickets were, have been in my cousin's name since 1985. My cousin Tom, who lives in DeKalb, um, and had probably had the, uh, the 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 you know the, the right correct presence of mind to not even deign to ask uh, any of the other shareholders if there would be any interest. So I don't even know. You know, I, I'm sure that we were. And uh, but no, had I been afforded that uh, opportunity, I don't think I would have taken them up on it. Uh, the reason this is a special edition is we have a special guest, everybody's favorite season ticket holder, ladies and gentlemen, joining us for the podcast, Al Yellen. Al- oh, bring it on. Bring it on. Al. Al's I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. Where did he got, where, where he ran out of me. <laughs> is that really? All right. Did you say before we got on, Andy, that this Hall of Fame, is that in left field? Like right, basically right below Al's ass? Is that... Am I pushing too hard for a, a metaphor of sorts, uh, or? Yeah, I guess he's sitting on top of the of the hall. Of okay, oh, that's that fits. Located in the left field, Blood Budweiser Bleacher Concourse, which is underneath the stands. I would take it. I, 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 the concourse, I guess. Oh, who knows? What the, I don't, it's most places make like a huge deal out of this. The Cubs are like, oh, basically. So they sent out the press release, and it's like. Uh, we're rededicating Wrigley Field. Now the um, all the uh, renovations are done. Uh, we're going to put up a plaque that commemorates it as a national landmark. We're going to put up a plaque honoring the Ricketts family for their wonderful stewardship. Fuck That's guys. a good one. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, we're also going to uh, dedicate the uh, 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 Cubs Hall of Fame. Uh, it's going to have 56 uh, people in it. And uh, as you know, we've already had one and a bunch of them are... no. Did anybody know there was one? No, so it wasn't just me who thought this thing kind of just crept up on us awfully, awfully quick. Was there like, idea? Was it the flags? Is I know that, that the Hall maybe. I know that. That were. I mean, weird code around the grandstand. They've roof? got the flags that we've had the statues. I don't know when it all began. I know that there's always been, you know, not always, but in the modern times, the last twenty years or so, and other teams have, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if the Bears, the Bears might have their own, but teams create their own Hall of Fame. The Cubs, have, who have been in business for 150 years, haven't, and so, um, you know, that's been a discussion for a while. I think a lot of us have engaged in that theoretical discussion, and all of a sudden, it just seems like two days ago. So here it is, and then they're so they're spinning it like, oh, this is just an addition to this long tradition of honoring our past that we've had. I, no, this is kind of what people have been looking to have, and they just sort of dropped it on us. Yeah, they thought everyone thought they were going to like build. Actually, you know, you know where a good place would have been to have built this thing, where they put the fucking sports book that nobody oh. needs. <laughs> Only the Cubs build a huge sports book when. Fans don't have to go in there to bet. They can just sit, they can go to any bar they want and fire up. So it, it's uh, 
it's one of those industries that the pandemic sort of uh, illuminated as being very accessible remotely. So you could have had it there. Hell, you could have. I don't care. You could have. Uh, you could have built a bar and put the Hall of Fame in the bar. And then you know, little little kid Cup fans go to bars. That'd be fine. Yeah, I I was in the piano man as young as nine years old I mean, at Clark and Grace. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a farm town. I probably had my first like restaurant experience was most likely at the back table of a probably eating something off of a pool table in the back of a tavern. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, crossing the street after a Cubs game. My dad just needs to wet his whistle, so to speak. And uh, you know, here's a, they actually had a video game for me to play in, uh, in a pop to sip. I was in heaven. You know, you were a thrilled man. You're out. You know. You always well, feel safe. You bring up a question: Do the do the Bears have a Hall of Fame? I so I should know that. I don't, but I uh, you know they've the, the Bears have a weird you know for a, a team with a proud history. You know, yeah, up until the sixties, yeah, yeah. A uh, what do they call them? They're a founding member of the NFL, the charter franchise. They've retired more numbers than any team in the NFL. Absolutely, and most uh, people have no idea what numbers are retired or who they're retired for. I do, but I'm probably in the, you know, 66 Bulldog okay, but, see, but here's the flaw in it. Okay, so you're sitting in your seat at Soldier Field. Especially this year now, the guys are going to be wearing single-digit numbers at weird positions. And you're like, how come nobody's number three? Don't you think you should be able to look up at somewhere and see Nagurski? So you yeah. know that's why it's retired. Isn't seven retired for two guys? Uh, Avellini and Harris. Yeah, Avellini. Yeah, in the great band. Of course, I say Avellini first, but, was, but they retired like, it for Hallis like after. McAfee and Hallis or some weird. McAfee was five. Uh, there are other numbers that, like, you know, 51. You can, Jim Morrissey yeah, can Jim walk Morrissey around is, and say that his number's number retired. 51. I never saw Buckus play. <laughs> I saw Jim Morrissey 51. Now, the one, I gave the Bears a free idea, and they didn't take me up on it. What I thought they should have done in, uh, to honor Peyton is when they stripe the field, they should stripe and put the number, they should stripe the 34-yard line on both sides of the field. Brilliant. I love it. Stripe the 35. Stripe it. Make it orange. 34. And write the actual three and four on both sides of the line. I don't think, and I don't even think the No Fun League would put their foot down on something that would honor Walter Payton. He's pretty universal. I would pay the fine. As long as it was less than, say, (laughs) I would pay it. Yeah, by the way, a quick Google search tells you there's no official uh, Bears Hall of Fame. There, there might be something called a Bears Ring of Honor, but that's not from the Bears website. That might just be some Ed Hardig type yeah, that's some got something dude, going. So, no, there's no Hall of Fame. renovated his basement, and he put, he he took the time to put the names <laughs> of the numbers on the wall. That's more than the Bears could be on. We don't, oh, <laughs> we don't own the stadium. We can't hang any signs. Right, Spark yeah. District. Municipal, it's governmental. <laughs> that's a good. That's a you fantastic. You get point. Chase Bank to sponsor the Ring of Honor. You'd have a Ring of Honor up if they sponsored it tonight. The Ring of Honor would be up by Saturday. That's, yes, we know that from the Bears. They, do they not? I mean, I I go to at least one game a year, and I have since I was a kid. Do they not? Uh, they do not. Do they not have flags at least honoring? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I don't. I don't know if there's a I been, any kind of a Ring of Honor. I haven't been to a game since the Sex Boat Vikings. And ah, okay. So there's there's statues up that I've never seen. I may not have seen the statues either. I usually just go in and out because it's uh, a very inhospitable place to get to. You just want to wait till they the build a shrine in Arlington Heights. It's going to be 
Hey, it's I ride my bike to that motherfucker. That's four miles away from me. Bring it on. They got they got the footprint. You're right off of fifty three, right off of ninety. And I know there are some people out there that uh, absolutely do not want to hear that, but don't care. But so, um, so yeah. So the Ricketts had a little uh, thing. They they honored themselves. They gave speeches. Uh, Hopefully, they got booed. I don't know. I don't know how they could. There are a couple of guys that we know on Twitter and whatnot that were the uh, Danny Rocket. I, you know, you're not gonna. What are you gonna do if you're one guy that's angry and you're gonna use your platform of having a season ticket holder to like heckle them? I wouldn't expect him to, but you know. Um, Would you lose your season tickets if you uh, peed into some balloons? Tied them up and threw them at the Ricketts family. Would that? Would they it, take it, your season tickets? Could they? Could it they do? De- depends on like what type of relationship you have with your ticket, you know, office manager. There's, uh, a, on the, there's a lesser-known uh, codicil in the Faber University. Faber College. Yeah. I, there's. Uh, what can you do? I would not go. I, I mean, the only reason I would go would be to do that, which would be a total bridge-burning exercise that accomplishes nothing and gains no uh you know persuades nobody in your favor so what are you gonna do so they did that and then they uh they let all eight season ticket holders who showed up got to go down and look at all the plaques and um so instead of in honor of this instead of spinning the wheel this week we are instead we're going to remember this crap about the chicago cubs hall of fame and we're going to treat it with the reverence which it truly deserves 100 percent uh, okay, so here's a few facts about the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame yes. includes 56 plaques. Okay. Now here's here's they've they've made themselves a gray area right at the very beginning. Here it says the criteria is you need five or more years as a Cub. Five or more. Yep. The next one, significant contributions to the organization. What they don't they don't use uh, an and or an or. No conjunction. So you're not sure if you have to have five years and significant contributions or five years or. That would make no sense to put a, a year limit on it or limit uh, minimum requirement and then have significant contributions. You should just drop the five years. So supposedly you're going to have both, but I, we're going to find out right away there's a problem with that. Yes, I believe so. Yes. I look forward to examining that. Make so sure we're not on how did they get the 56 uh, plaques? Well, they got them. By, they said 41 members were already enshrined in the previous version of the Cubs Hall of Fame. The, the, the sort of like, it almost feels like a Freemasons club, like this sort of secret. Not, no, has anyone heard of this before? This they said that it they, previous they inducted, iteration. They inducted people between 1982 and 1986. Okay, I could see that happening actually with the building new the new tradition and Dallas Green coming in. Because there were a lot of sort of seismic changes. There was the year that the uh, the official the the diehard Cubs fan club was created, which later spawned uh, um, uh, what's that magazine that went out of business after a while? Fine line. Yeah, fine line. And my uncle had given me of my birthday, given me a free subscription, a free uh, annual pass. I was a charter member of the Chicago Cubs diehard uh, fan club. Got a ticket and everything. And then when Vine, Vine, and, uh, Vine Line came out, I got a subscription to that. So there was that. And so it might have something to do with that. I think because there was a lot of like sort of merchandise marketing and like, you know, um, reading material and stuff like that that you would get as a privileged member. I don't think I renewed. Um, but you know, that was only, only the, time. Excuse me. Doesn't the name Hall of Fame 
imply somewhere there's a hall way with physical stuff in it. And if the whole thing is, well, no, we wrote a few articles in in our half-assed Tiger Beat fan magazine, that's not a Hall of Fame. It's a list. I don't don't guess. Yeah, so you had a list. Somebody had a list. They probably had it written on steno paper, and it ended up in... They found it in a box when they were thrown so it's well, the dumpster right, yes. right under Ron Santos' car. <laughs> hey, guys, we found the Hall of Fame. But how could they do that to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I will. I will say on the bottom of that cake. Yeah, just wipe that off, Crane. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, I mean the the, the diehard fan club. The newsletters were a little bit glossy, they, they, so they, they they were you know not just printed, you know, uh, using the old gluey uh, ditto machines, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still not a hall. You know, that hall implies physical uh, presence, not some sort of abstract. So so then they said they they also inducted nine people, nine members, who were in the previous Cubs Walk of Fame. Now that we know about a little bit, right? That was when they, I think, redid the park way back in 2006. Tribune actually invested. They redid the bleachers. Before that, 92 to 98. 92 to 98? Okay. So it, nothing to do, it had nothing to do with park renovations. So, I, so. I pictured like those, the, the bricks you, you know, that they sold that you actually like put, like, like uh, they went around and like, did any players buy bricks? Turk Wendell did? All right, fine. Turk's in the Hall of Fame because he's. Yes, no, yes, right. That, right. that shouldn't work that way. Well, you know, that, that that fits, too. 92 to 98 is that, you know, that uh, um, catchphrase alert, mediocrity by design. That was right in the heart of it. And, of course, they're going to sort of focus on everything that they can ancillary to the ball club. It's, you know, they, we know they maximize what they could out of the park, which also goes hand in hand with events from today. Um, and so, yeah, the Walk of Fame kind of trying to just drum up, you know, uh, memories of good times and maybe not pay so much attention to what's going out in the field. So, so at that point they had 50 they had 50 people inducted into this phantom hall of fame today just before andy you know, before we go further I mean, there's six the, more that i'll let you get to okay but if you go back to whatever they started and and uh 1982 on uh you know john mcdonough's apple 2e um would, would those have been like the people who up until that point were baseball hall of famers like jenkins or jenkins wasn't actually but banks and hartnett was it so like that? So there was a group that they pulled that were already in this fictional Hall of Fame in '82. I'm just wondering that those must have pretty much just been like all Hall of Famers, and I don't, you know, maybe uh, Joe McCarthy. Just they didn't really they don't really elaborate on. Uh, no, I mean you don't. We'll get to them when we go through. The okay, game. okay. Um, Mordecai. All right. Uh, anyway, it's a yeah. There's a there's a few Hall of Famers in it. Um. There's, uh, I don't know, I can't give it away. Well, Paul Russell's brother. Okay. Um, yes, okay, got it, got it. No one will be able to crack that code. I hear you. No more, yeah. I don't want to jump the gun. So I got him to 50. And then uh, for this, they and they recognize the five members who've gone into the Hall of Fame since the Walk of Fame. So okay. that would be 90, so after 98. Okay. So uh, it's everybody Sam- after Harry then, right? Yeah, yeah, and Harry got it in '89, I think. But uh, yeah. that would be Sandberg, Santo, Dawson. You know, Jenkins may not have. Uh, he was probably in by then. Jenkins, I think, was in, but he, he kind of got in right around that time. It'd be Lee Smith. Okay, yeah, and, and Suter. Uh, and Harold Suter probably. 
Because <laughs> people know the, the Cubs inducted Harold Baines into the Cub Hall of Fame, even though he never played for the Cubs, just to piss off Jerry Reister. <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course, the... today's uh, inductee, your Aunt Margaret, Margaret Donahue, Major League Baseball's right. first female officer. Uh, whatever that so is. Uh, she was a policeman? Si- Security guard? Oh, that's, that's it. It's my sister. Watch how you talk about my sister, Maggie. <laughs> I do have a sister, Margaret Donahue. Of course, this Donahue spells her name D-O-N-A. One letter off. But oh. yeah, it kind of, it, it actually, I don't think we could fault that one. It, you it know, could be a, Phil's sister. Well, actually, yeah, given the it, way it, they did it, spelling it on D- these, D-O-N-A. who knows how she spelled her name? Well, maybe, it, maybe it, yeah, maybe I can stake a claim to Proofreading. Proofreading on the Hall of Fame website. Not, uh, uh, not, can't wait not to, too good. Uh, can't wait to see some of these examples. And yes, the, the Cubs Hall of Fame is located in the left field Budweiser Bleacher Concourse. So they managed to work at the, the Hall of Fame doesn't have a sponsor yet, but they did manage to work a sponsor into the mm-hmm. description. So good job. Sure, the boys at Anheuser Busch were pleased. Good hustle. Had a boy crane. All right, so I think the best way to do this is there's 56 of them. We're not going to spend very much time on a bunch of them, but there's a few that I'm sure we could beat to death. <laughs> and will so uh when you pull them up they're in alphabetical order oh so, good i like that i like that bounce around so the first one is not grover cleveland alexander grover alexander better known as pete but he was Grover Cleveland, and they don't put that in there, which is curious because that's what he was known as. He was named after uh, the only president in history to serve two non-successive terms in office. It was Grover Cleveland Alexander. Ronald Reagan portrayed yes. Grover Cleveland Alexander. Yeah. So it is Grover Cleveland Alexander, yes. And that's it, the word no, maybe does not. not appear on the plaque anywhere. I think this has got to be different, right? Pete Alexander's got to be somebody different than Grover Cleveland Alexander? I, you know what? I have to check myself because now I'm worried I may have spoken out of my ass there. No, no, uh, nobody really. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, I knew that. No, you didn't. It was Grover Cleveland Alexander. Yeah. But I don't think he could have been named after the president. I think that was a common name because that president was, was around uh, Grover Alexander. He, he was born, born, in, well, he's born in 1887. He most assuredly was named after a president. Um, surefire Hall of Famer. Back in the days when he'd be winning 30 games, he a little bit, came in a little bit after Matthewson, a longtime alcoholic. Pitched for the Cubs in the World Series, so there's not there aren't too many guys you can say for that. Uh, didn't put up his best numbers with the Cubs, but deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because, you know, pitched in the World Series for him, and he was a Hall of Famer. Had some significant, uh, very colorful, very colorful career because even after he left the Cubs, he helped the Cardinals beat the Yankees in '26 when he struck out Tony Lazari. You know, just happened. To, the Cubs are a little bit incidental to his career, but you know, no, no problem there. It adds to the prestige. Yeah, his stats with the Cubs. Uh, well, he pitched. He pitched more for the Cubs, more seasons than any other team. Is that right? Nine years with the Cubs. He was 128 and 83. Um, that was his How lowest that? winning percentage. Uh, of the three teams he pitched for, he pitched for the, he pitched yeah, for the, he pitched uh, far more Phillies innings for twice. Philadelphia. Yeah, he pitched for the St. Louis Browns. No, it was the Cardinals. He pitched for the Cardinals. Shit. Well, yeah, he, he pitched. Be, he should be disqualified from the Hall of Fame. He. Uh, it's funny that he pitched more seasons for the Cubs. He pitched seven hundred more innings. 
for the Phillies because he was younger. He was a horse. He hadn't yet gone to World War. It's like actually still a bit of a tragic story with Alexander. He won 30 games three fucking times in a row. He's the guy who won over 100, almost 100 games in a three-year span uh, from 15 to 17. Goes to war, gets gassed. Uh, develop, I think he had epilepsy too. Drinking problem maybe from before the war. So he kind of, you know, when he could see straight, he wins 27 games for the Cubs in 20. And he did pitch long enough when they sort of turned it around, at, you know, after the Tinkers, Evers, and Chance era and Bill Vex Sr. rebuilt a mini dynasty. He was still, you know, still there as they were turning the corner, but he did not actually pitch, uh, you know, uh, for the Cubs in, in a World Series. Oh, yeah. So I have to take that back. He pitched. The, they're the only team he didn't pitch. Yeah, his, uh, his best year for the Cubs, 1920. He was 27 and 14. Led the National League in wins. Led the National League in ERA, 1.91. Led the National League in complete games with 33, which was the last time he did yeah. it. But the sixth time he'd done it in his career, he threw seven shutouts. He threw a tidy 363 innings wow. uh, and led the league in strikeouts with 173. So a different game. Wow. A different sport. A strikeout. Different sport. Great pitcher, though. He won. Uh, what did he win for the Cubs? Uh, total uh, 120, 28 games. So that ranks. So even if he wasn't an, you know, even even if he wasn't great elsewhere. He probably 125 wins might do it. I guess we'll see when we go over other guys that we saw, but no, no problem there. Good on you, Pete. Uh, of course, the next guy. All right, so the next guy on the list is um, the great Mordecai <laughs> Three Finger Brown, who uh, is best known for uh, Emily having three fingers. All right. I don't know. He apparently he mangled them in a threshing accident <laughs> or something. Uh, but he uh, he he won 188 games for the Cubs. He had a the uh, franchise record 1.80 ERA uh, in 10 seasons with the Cubs. That's his career ERA with the Cubs is 1.80. Um, he won 20 games uh, every year from 1906 to 11. That stretch featured two World Championships, four pennants. Um, his 188 wins are second most in franchise history, and he was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1949. Uh, so he he hurt he he unlike Coy Hill, he didn't have his uh, fingers cut off and then sewn back on in a weird uh, Frankenstein fashion. Uh, he just lost parts of them, and he always claimed then that because of uh, the his disfigured hand, it allowed him to do crazy things with the ball, uh, which is great. He also though um, it wasn't just that he also invented spider tech. <laughs> All right, so the next one then would be um, Frank Chance, who was in as a, uh, a first baseman and as a manager. Yeah, peerless leader. There's only two men in the world, in the history of the world, who have uh, managed the Cubs to a World Series championship. And only one of them is uh, still alive. It's just Frank Chance and Joe Madden. How about that? Frank played for the Cubs from 05 to 12. Uh, led them to two World Series championships. Should have been three. Nobody knows how they lost to 1906. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. Four pennants, and they won 116 games in 1906. So the and how many did they lose? 160, uh, 38. 
which is incredible. 116 games in, in like a, a 154. Was it still? I think it was not even 154. I think, no, I think it was. I'm pretty sure. It was. Okay. All right. That's just astonishing. Uh, inarguably the greatest single season, uh, regular season. Of course, it doesn't end in triumph. Well, who is the other manager who who managed a team to 116 wins? Also a former Cub. Would that be Lou? Yeah, Lou. Yeah. And they didn't and, win a fucking thing. Yeah. Either, so. Yeah. Yeah. Bulls, Bulls are one of the few teams to pull that off, it seems. Got to be a got to be a really good team to 116 games and not. Yep. But yeah, Frank deserving. Mordecai deserving. Grover deserving. Oh, I was wrong. 1906 Cubs, 116, 36, and 3. Oh, ties. Forgot about those ties. And they're, they overachieve because they're Pythagorean win-loss. One fifteen and thirty. Mm, so. That's that's what that's what the managerial Frank, acumen obviously. of Frank Chance will will provide. So, no, 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 the next guy is a guy who I only know how to say his name because Harry would talk about him. Mm-hmm. Kai Kai Kyler, not Kiki, not Kiki, not Kiki no. Uh, Kai Kai Kyler. I, I I grew up hearing a few secondhand Kai Kai Kyler stories only because my father, who today is eighty eight, himself was a young lad hearing stories of his father who would regale him with tales of those uh, I had alluded to the, the the team that Bill Vex Sr. had sort of brought back from the ashes in the late 20s uh, and they won four pennants in uh, I think 10 years, 29, 32, 35, and 38. They lost every World Series, which was its own narrative. Kyler, Kyler was one of the better players in that team along with uh, Rick Stevenson and Hall of Famers Hartnett and Hornsby, whom we'll get to, but I would say deserving. I also like to note that Kai Kai Kyler, uh, one of the former Cubs whose last name uh, shares the name of a street that uh, uh, is within in this case, just a couple of miles of Wrigley field. Kyler street runs uh, just North of uh, uh, Irving park. Um, a couple blocks. Yeah. So fun fact. Well, and at least, deserving. At least based on the picture here on his uh, fake plaque. Uh, <laughs> handsome. That guy's a handsome guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some like, you know, ocean, oceanic blue eyes. Uh, yeah. Good player. I mean, he, you know, playing on those teams. He, I, I don't know if he's a real hall of famer, but he's definitely would be a cub hall of famer. Next up no, is a guy I'm, that I, I'm not sure I'm familiar with. Uh, no. Ernie no. Banks. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of him. The real Mr. Cobb. I mean, not much to say, obviously. I mean, he was the most celebrated former Cub of our lifetime because he was living. and um, Because he was fucking awesome. He was, yeah. Fucking shortstop. Yeah, shortstop who... Uh, uh, you know, took the league by storm on back-to-back MVPs, just 500 home runs eventually. You know, Mr. Cobb, what more can, can you say? 14-time uh, All-Star. Won no. back-to-back MVPs on last-place teams. Or at least, were they last uh, place or second last, division? Just second, second division. division, second division. He had to really work hard to be last place in oh. an eight-team league. And, uh, is he the first Cub he has number retired? He was, 1982. Again, part of this sort of whole thing that Tribune Company ushered in when Tribune Company was a good thing, which we haven't talked about on the wheel spinning, the Tribune one, the, not the mediocrity by design, but the where they actually sort of had some savvy people, hired the right folks, and did some things. And from a marketing angle, I don't know if this would have been a John McDonough thing, but the whole you know so-called original Hall of Fame and the diehard Cubs fan club and Vine Line and retiring numbers, all of that was ushered in uh, when Tribune Company uh, bought the team in '82, and that Ernie Ernie's was retired the very first season in '82. Um, 
Next up, first baseman, war number 44. Not Anthony Rizzo. Phil Cavaretta. Local product, uh, graduates from Lane Tech High School, and 18 months later is playing in the 1935 World Series as a freaking 20-year-old. It's pretty awesome. Long career. Uh, again, not a not a Major League Hall of Famer, but, you know, he's a lot like probably Mark Grace. I don't know if the numbers would bear it out. By 45, he actually won the MVP. I guess he kind of fell in that gap where he was a little too old to go off to war, uh, but could still pound some, you know, uh, some 4A uh, pitching, and uh, that was the Cubs' last World Championship till 2016. Deserving Phil Cavaretta, Hit local 355 guy. 355 in 1945. Yeah, also managed the Cubs through their first dark uh, age in the 50s, you know, when the curtain shut for a few years. And, and I think might share a distinction, uh, or might have a distinction shared by few other managers in that he got fired during spring training. So, oh, well, good for him. Yeah. He, uh, he looks a little bit like Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I, you know, Italian first baseman wearing number forty-four. I mean, it's a little bit a lot smaller. Of, a lot of similarities than the Riz, 5'11", 175 pounds. So, a good five inches smaller than Riz, but same number. I'm sure that's why Anthony wore it in honor of him. Yeah, yeah. Anthony seems really um, educated. You know, really sharp and up on things like that. Here's a guy that uh, I'm sure you know all about, uh, John Clarkson. Oh sure, beat a man to death with a bottle of rum over a game of faro in nineteenth century. Well, they all look alike, right? <laughs> He's your Huckleberry. He uh, played for the Cubs from eighteen eighty four to eighteen eighty seven. Didn't meet, so he doesn't meet the no, five year standard. No, okay. He, uh, I have to look up Clarkson. With the Cubs. He won. Uh, I mean, we know that there were, there was no World Series before. There were pennants. The Cubs won about four or five pennants in the uh, pre-World Series era, and there was supposedly, I guess, that there was there were postseason competitions. But in the years in which uh, Mr. Clarkson played, there I guess there were three postseasons that he played, or two, only two at the Cubs: 85, 1885, and eighty-six. So, he, uh, I guess that that does it. He led the league in wins in eighteen eighty-five with fifty-three. Wow. Wow. Well, Eat that, Hoss Redboard. Sport, for God's it's sake. not. Right. <laughs> We're talking about Grover Cleveland, who's like 30 years after this, right? Um, 35, almost 40 years after that, really. Yeah. 1.13 ERA for the Cubs. Well, that was in the postseason. Sorry. He, he bounced around a little bit. Um, yeah. Only on there for three years, but those were like, apparently two pennant winners. Two of the pre-20th century pennant winners. So, uh, especially in light of how successful the Cubs have been at collecting pennants since the 20th century, oh. you, you have to put John Clarkson uh, in. So, uh, they did their homework on him. A worthy. So, we already had Frank Chance. Now it's time and for Johnny Evers. That was how they pronounced it, correct? Right. They only made it Evers for the poem, which I don't know why it's any different. <laughs> Tinkers, the yeah, it wouldn't have made a difference reading it out. I um, you know, I don't know how second or uh, uh, second baseman rated offensively. I feel like if I were to look up Johnny Evers' numbers, I'm not going to be impressed. Uh, offensively, no black. There's no bold anywhere. 
uh, even on whatever they have for, they don't have defensive metrics, do they? Yeah, we know him from the poem. He was part of the great team. So, uh, you know, I'll say that's fine, right? They won three straight pennants. Evers actually hung around with the Cubs to be on their 09 um, pennant winner. So he played on four pennant winners and one of the greatest teams in history, really. They were up until, you know, until the Yankees came along. I think the Cubs, the 06, 07, 08, 09, you know, 20, 1910 Cubs were, you know, considered one of the historically great teams. So, so of course the uh, the immortal uh, double play combination of Tinkers to Evers to Chance, um, Tinker, Tinker, right? That's the other Tinker, Tink. Well, no, I said it wrong. Nobody calls it Tinkers. Tinker Evers <laughs> to Chance. Uh, they played seven hundred and seventy games together. How many double plays do you think they turned? Uh, seven hundred and seventy games. Seasons were immortal. They ended the whole poem is about. Well, I'm going to set the over under at 500. I want. I'm curious if they, they you know. Oh, if, they're so far under you couldn't see it from 500. Uh, okay, that might have been a high guess. I mean, I wasn't guessing. I'm just trying to figure 700. Uh, you, you're talking about four or five seasons. Let's just say John Clarkson almost won as many games in 1885 as these wow. guys turned double plays in 770 games. 50. <laughs> Incredible. 54. They played in 21 World Series games. How many double plays do you think they turned in those 21 World Series games? How many? None. Uh, That's quite a poem. Wow. That's a powerful myth. Yes. It, is. <laughs> it propelled... Because I think Joe Tinker is even a worse ball player, even though he was a shortstop. So you got to give you know, you know gotta give a shortstop the nod if he's out there. But... Um, yeah, that must be a powerful myth for all three of those guys. Johnny Evers, however they do it, does have a 47-7 war, which in my book is not Hall of Fame material. However, I believe that's leagues ahead of uh, Harold Baines. So by the Baines argument, I guess Evers is in. Better, uh, well, I guess we probably should compare Joe Tinker to uh, Ryan Terrio. Let's see. When we get this, maybe, maybe when we get to Tinker, we'll do well, that, Well, actually, right? let's see. Tinker, Terrio will be just before him on the list alphabetically. Um, yeah, and by the way, Harold Baines, 38.7 war. Johnny Evers hasn't beat since Harold Baines. Wow. So, yeah, it, and he's in a poem and whatever. Yeah, you know, put him in. Harold is the worst Hall of Famer. Of course, no. And we can come back to that. But it, the, the, that argument could be used now to justify so many others. But Johnny Evers is already in. Or Johnny Evers. Yeah, Johnny Evers is already in. Well, I'm really stay. excited to go to Candy Maldonado's uh, Hall of Fame induction. Yeah. <laughs> in the Harold Baines wing. Of the Hall of Fame. Okay. Clark Griffith. So would this be, the, see, he's in here as a player? He sh- the, the picture is, uh, is him it's in a suit. Is he a young player, man? He was a player. Okay. and executive. And somehow as amassed a, enough money man, to buy a team. Oh, as a pitcher, he won 152 and 96 in eight seasons. Okay. He was the first Cub pitcher to win 20 games six straight times. Okay. Led the league in ERA at 1.88, and he was elected in, in 1898. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1946. Okay. He is not the Clark Griffith who owned the Twins, though, right? I thought he was. I thought he was the, he the grandfather. Executive. What the fuck's he doing in the Cub Hall of Fame? Well, like, did, like, did Albert Spaulding front him like money from the sporting good? Like, how did he amass? Was he just an educated Easterner that played ball but had a trust fund? Like, he is. Uh, I want to make sure. I have to. I have to just do a dive. 
Clark Griffith of the Cubs, Clark Calvin Griffith of the Cubs, uh, 1869-1959, nicknamed the Old Fox, American League Baseball pitcher, manager, team owner, began his MLB playing career with the St. Louis Browns, Reds, and then the Cubs Orphans, then served as player manager for the Chicago White Stockings, which was the Cubs, and the New York Highlanders, which became the Yankees from 03 to 07, retired as a player after 07, remaining manager, blah, blah, blah. He went over to Washington. Made some appearances as a player. He owned the Senators from 1920. So I don't. It doesn't really. I'm sure if you go into the wiki, well, the Senators, somehow he, the Senators he, he became. Up. So Clark W. must be his son, because the, the Senators became the Twins, right? Yes, correct. The first Senators became the Twins. Right. Second so became the Rangers. Clark W. Griffith. Yes, yes. Is the guy we think of as the pre-Carl Polehead owner, and that would have been. That's the exactly right. That's it. So here's how he he bought 10 percent of the Senators. Um. For twenty-seven thousand dollars in nineteen. Okay. So they're worth two seventy. They, they suck. Cattle ranch. You know, he sold not even the ranch. He sold cattle on his Montana ranch, then mortgaged the ranch, and then bought ten percent of Montana. the senators, and okay. then started taking. Over, so. Pretty right. savvy. Pretty savvy. All right. So, right. So he's a ball player that had a little bit of uh, of a nest egg and uh, leveraged all that to become. The guy whose son would own a team that would eventually uh, let Andy McPhail take two ill-gotten championships uh, and make his way to Chicago so, and set us back for a while. Yeah, yeah, quite the circle of life there. <laughs> Death. <laughs> Next, legitimately, legitimately great player who they damn with faint praise at the beginning of his plaque when they call him one of the Cubs' greatest leadoff hitters. Wow, <laughs> so well known for them. It is Stan Hack. Yep, my uncle Bud's favorite player. Singles, doubles, Twitter probably might be best known for uh, Cubs were in the 1935 World Series against the Tigers. They were down in the series three to one, hoping to rally back, pushed the game to I think either extra innings or top of the ninth. And Stan Hack had a leadoff triple, and he was ended up being stranded on third, didn't score. Uh, yeah, Mike Rico used to write a little bit. I think it might have been one of Mike Rico's favorite players. Again, I don't believe Stan Hack is a baseball Hall of Famer. He's kind of more of that Mark Grace territory, like. Uh, probably may have led the league in hitting once or twice. Played on pennant winners. Uh, played with the guys that I mentioned before, Kai Kai Kyler and Stevenson, and uh, you know, and and Hartnett. So one of uh, one of the great Cub number sixes to uh, make uh, All Star game appearances, which also includes, of course, Keith Moreland and Brian oh. Lahair. I don't believe Keith Moreland made the Hall of Fame, nor did Glenn Allen Hill. But you're right about Brian Lahair. Well, no, All Star, just All Star appearances. Was Keith Moreland ever an All Star? Uh, Maybe he was. I don't think with the Cubs. No, I love Moreland, but I, I don't think oh, he was. So, yeah. so how come Pat didn't introduce him as All Form? What is it? How does he former Cub, former Cub, uh, and former Cub and All Star? Right, Keith Moreland. I actually, I had a no, be, because he was because he was Moreland did never represent the Cubs as an All Star. He was a led the team in hitting one year. That's why he has to parse. I know, but but be, right, but like had Moreland, actually, he could have said Moreland was ever. Uh, no, he never was. No, 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 no. He was a young, yeah, no, he probably was, but he was one of my favorite players, so careful. Um, Stan Heck actually, interestingly, led the league and caught stealing five years in a row between 1936 yeah. and 1940. 55.5 uh, war. That actually puts him in arguable hall territory, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, over 2,000 hits. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, totally deserved. Never, never an all star. He got robbed in. Uh, I guess his best chance would have been eighty two or eighty three. He led the team with a three hundred two batting average. Yeah, I think, think. eighty two was his best year, one twenty. Yeah. OPS plus, and then he was pretty good in eighty five. 
Yeah, I like Moreland. He gave it his all. Actually, 85, yeah. that's probably the year he should have been an all-star. He gave, he finished 17th that year in MVP voting. Okay, in 85, okay. Uh, but yeah, Hack, 2,200 hits. Uh, yeah, no no problem there, Stan. Good for you. Uh, predecessor to the dandy little glove man, Billy Herman, a master yeah. of the hit and run. Batted 309 with 346 doubles in 11 seasons as a Cubs. As a Cub, 200 hits three times. He was Nick Madrigal before it was cool. Uh, seven-time All-Star with the Cubs. Batted 341 in 1935. He was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame yeah. in 1975. Because the Cubs kind of bailed on him. He was on uh, some of the pennant winners, I want to say. He played for the they, – they dealt him to the Dodgers where he really shined. Dodgers, of course. He would have been 32, could... 35, and 38. 30, he was on all three of those teams. Yeah, okay. 31 to 41. And you know, man, he was a young man. Yeah, 22. I'm looking at it now. They sent him to uh, Brooklyn right when Brooklyn finally stopped sucking after two decades because they won the, in their first year. In his first year, they're in 41. I know Brooklyn won the pennant. Went off to war. Uh, yeah, actually, they only played with one Brooklyn pennant winner. Uh, probably an overrated Hall of Famer, frankly. He got 2,300 hits. Um, and how many with the Cubs? I mean, can we can we nitpick him? Seventeen hundred played on three pennant winners. Yeah, I'm fine with Billy Herman being in. Another one of your favorites. I know you grew up uh, admiring this guy's work, King Kelly. Another well, well mustachioed. He looks like uh, a trapeze artist. Right? Is this the character in Three Musketeers? What are, <laughs> it's it's uh, like his mustache is groomed. He was an outfielder well, and a catcher. Um, was yeah, and I, I believe that 1880 1886. I'd like to think that he was a catcher in the days when catchers did not wear oh, gloves. There's, there's no mask. There's no way. No mask. No, no cup. No glove. Yeah. Just basically, just I think that, that stupid anybody got on in the picture. That's the only protected. I would say that anybody that played at least 100 games at catcher between 1875 and 1885 just played 100 games as a catcher should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. They gave you, uh, but at the end of the season, they gave you $100 for every tooth that was left in your head. Uh, and every finger that was just bent perpendicular to the knuckle. Um, yeah, go ahead, King Keller. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with a guy that played catcher without equipment. Cool name, King Kelly. They don't even bother with what his real name was. Maybe he's King. Wasn't it Mike? I thought it, I think it was Mike, wasn't it? No? All right. See, even that, though, like, you know, is that how you... So I know these are fake plaques. Are the, are, are the real plaques on the wall, do we know, underneath Al Yellen's ass in left field? It's probably... Uh, some. They had some intern print them out on a right. white top here. <laughs> They're just, like, sort of behind a laminated yeah, yeah. Uh, sleeve. Like right. Kind of Kind of going with the whole, like half-assed printing a list to begin with. Is it really even a plaque? So. Yep, Michael Joseph Kelly. Ooh, yeah, baseball there you go. reference picture. He really looks like a, a Peaky Blinders. Good Lord. <laughs> Next up, a true Cub immortal. He did it all for the Cubs. Charlie Grimm. Did it all, included playing the banjo. Oh, well, good. First baseman, manager, broadcaster, executive. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, pretty much uh, it, the Blair last... Uh, 32 to 36. There's two pennants in there. Uh, yep. Also managed pennant winners in 35, came back in 45. Uh, 296 yep. for a career in 12 years. He led the, na- led the National League in fielding percentage. 
four times. Eh, nobody cares. The first baseman, you know, Cubs have a history of that, as we've discussed. Didn't know it went that far back, but that's good to know. Uh, slick glove man. So, cheers to Charlie. Gabby Hartnett. Baseball Hall of Famer. Still the greatest Cubs catcher. Uh, Wilson could give him a run for his money if the Ricketts let him stay around, but... Well, and who knows Rick, how long Austin Romine will hang around. He might oh, that, that's... Yeah, that's he's a young man. He's only 38. He's still got a decade. That's a good point. Left. Yeah. Cubs are awash true. in great catching right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think most fans know about Hartnett. Also, among those four pennant winners, I don't think he was on all. I don't know if any of them were on all four of those pennant winners from twenty-nine to thirty-eight. If anyone was, it would have been Hartnett. Uh, he was a manager for part of it. Hit the homer in the Gloman in thirty-eight off of Mace Brown. Um, like I said, baseball Hall of Famer, no brainer. So now the homer in the Gloman. He hits a ball that it, it's getting dark at Wrigley. Um, so who, what team was that against? Pittsburgh. Against Pittsburgh. Pirates insisted it wasn't really a home run, right? Yeah, yeah. Why didn't they go? Did they run out of replay challenges? Is that why? I think they did. Yeah, yeah uh, I forget. You got to got to save one. I, I, I don't know. Couldn't get the ump's to I, I forget who Pittsburgh's manager was. I don't know. Boats McLaughlin, or I'm just pulling a name out of my ass. It burned it earlier. But, yeah, so that lives in lower. But unlike Tinkers and Evers to Chance, where, you know, a some sort of a, a work of prose sort of accentuates and elevates them, Hartnett didn't need that, uh, you know, that sort of uh, um, heroic single moment to catapult him. He was a Hall of Famer no matter what, but that certainly is part of his legacy. Well, and Gabby's a great name. Uh-huh. Owned a owned owned a bowling, a bowling alley, I think, in Lincolnwood. Uh, I had a bar in Clark and Lawrence. My hundred-year-old aunt, who passed away a month ago, told me a story of running into Gabby Harden on the beach. Uh, I think at Montrose, like you know, the thirties. Oh, and I'll bet he had this swimming suit pulled up right. That's under right, his right. That's it. Man about town. Hands on his uh, hands on his waist, so they're just up under his armpits. He's just yes. standing there, like, look, I'm Gabby right. Harden. Yeah, as as they do. Um. Yeah, so he played played 20 years in the big leagues, 19 for the Cubs. He finished up with the Giants. And I'm looking here quick to see if he was a catcher all, all 20 years, which would be pretty ridiculous, and he was. Yes, I think they were back then. I don't see them. That's yeah. A lot of squatting. One of, the, probably one of the three or four greatest catchers, I'm guessing, the first half of the 20th century, probably one of the – he may he may still be in the team photo for top ten catcher of the twentieth century. What, did you say know. what his nickname was? Well, I thought it'd be Gabby. I don't know what his birthday. Oh, name he's got be. one of the great nicknames ever. Old Tomato <laughs> Face. Of course, that just it just screams like a Three Stooges Old episode. Face. Black and white, like. Uh. Here's a here's a great player uh, who barely played for the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, Rogers. Yeah. yeah. Now he did win. Did he win a bang title with the Cubs? He hit three fifty and in. in uh, oh no, he hit three fifty for his career with the Cubs. He hit three eighty yeah. uh, in twenty nine. His first year with the Cubs, he was the MVP. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So he only played. He played twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, thirty two. He played four seasons. Now that does not. Um, that's not enough, right? They, they said he had uh, five years. Right, made significant contribution would be if we're assuming the absence of a conjunction. So, if you're to interpret it to be or, well, makes, makes there's a good. sentence they tacked onto the end of the plaque here that gives them wiggle room. Um, was a player manager from 30 to 32, and later served as a broadcaster and coach with Chicago. 
Okay. Uh, I guess they're, what they're counting is that he kind of helped cultivate a young Ronnie Santo and Billy Williams. I know he coached them. Santo would not say a bad word about him. Hornsby was known as a real asshole. I'm actually shocked to hear that he did uh, he did uh, broadcasting. Uh, he, you know, just just uh, kind of a little bit of strange, obsessive. Like a lot of great players, sometimes they just their personalities can be nasty and obsessive, and you know, focused on one thing. Uh, it didn't bother Santo or Williams because they were great players. I think he was harder on the younger ones, but he did. He was part of that organization for a long time. Uh, he did win an MVP with the Cubs, and he did play in a World Series. So even though he didn't play five years, uh, I guess he's in. Former White Sox manager. Don Kessinger. I'm like, what did did my browser go to another page? What were we doing here? <laughs> how how in the world? Yeah, well, yeah, like you say, last player manager before Pete Rose, so the second to last player manager in history. Also a single digit war. I uh, we talked about this before the show. I tweeted about it because when I saw him. This was the one that jumped out. Nothing against Don Kessinger. Slightly before our time. You know, my dad loved those teams. I know my older brothers kind of remember them. Um, we've beaten it to death. I mean, first of all, this is a team itself that has four na- National Baseball Hall of Fame players on it. A team that never won a pennant during a divisional era. Yep. Um, which, or never even made, I'm sorry, never even made the postseason in a divisional era. And um, and so putting four Hall of Famers in there in the National Hall of Fame seems kind of interesting, even though statistically it's hard to argue against any of them. It really is. Uh, I don't know what statistical merits they would have used well, for the Cub Hall of Fame. So the, if the Cubs had four bona fide Hall of Famers during that era. That basically says the guys they played with Weren't good. <laughs> so never the get, playoffs. But they're like they somehow they're like riding the coattails. Jason. They just like right. Yeah. They get to ride the coattails so, somehow. Kessinger, he got MVP votes in sixty nine and seventy. His OPS plus in sixty nine was eighty six, and in seventy it was seventy seven. Remember, one hundred is league average. He's getting MVP votes. He won gold gloves both years. He was an all-star six times, five years in a row. Okay. He never had an now, OPS plus in the 90s, much less 100. Uh, he stole 100 bases in 16 years and got caught 85 times. Wow. He may, Wait a he second. He may have been a whiz as a shortstop. He was not a good baseball player. No, that's barely 50%. I mean, 100, 100 out of 185 attempts, yeah. that would get, that would get you running. run out of the league. That would get you run out of the league today. Fifty-four percent steal rate. That's what it took him to reach those triple digits. That's uh that's almost a cry. I don't want to like give this Hall of Fame more any more credibility than it deserves, but that is a crime against humanity. His career slugging was three twelve. <laughs> I can't wait to go see Matt Duffy's plaque in the cover. I right and. Great. Yeah, I, that's that's wiffle ball Hall of Fame. Because it's like, well, wow. he did home runs. He hit fourteen homers in sixteen years. And, and he also uh, only hit two hundred and fifty four doubles in sixteen years. Well, you already said it. Sixty two game average was a two fifty two hitter with twenty doubles, six triples, a homer, forty one RBIs. That that doesn't get you. That doesn't get you honorable mention all conference, much less a Cubs Hall of Fame. Jesus. That is incredible. That is just like, so I wonder what the story is there. Well, I'm just, <sighs> like, we use the All-Star six times. 
Well, somebody's got to be. But he's they, even they before had to pull out a team, and so they're like, "Ah, fuck." Who's it. making the sick. case for him though? Like he's even before they're like, a right, young, we a, bought, a young. We already bought train tickets for Banks, Santo, and <laughs> Jenkins. Maybe they can just stow Kessinger away, and then he can be the backup shortstop for the All Star game. <sighs> right. They, uh, but like, I mean, who was caping for him? Like, he played even before like this Ricketts era, where he was like Chad douchebag hanging out in the bleachers. I mean, I don't know who like had to make the case for nothing against him. Don Kessinger, for all I know, could be a hell of a guy. Um, and you know, like I said, he's remembered fondly by my dad, as I'm sure he was yours. Um, oh, I'm sure. But holy shit, man, that guy's. And we know short stops were, like we said, offense was a, was an afterthought um, for a long, long time. But that's a that's a that's a that's special. Uh, so I guess uh, maybe the greatest manager, either the greatest or second greatest manager in Cup history. Joe McCarthy. Well, I think it'd be Chance then Madden. The thing about McCarthy is that the Cubs, I think, lowballed him and he went to the Yankees, and then that's where he became a legend with a uh, Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio. He uh, when was he manager for the Cubs? He he was the guy. Yeah, he was the guy to bring them back out of their doldrums again after you know the the, the Chance era. Um, he was a young up and coming guy, and uh, when Miller Huggins his health was ailing. Uh, the Yankees. I think they actually. I think McCarthy actually got fired, so it makes it even worse. Uh, he wasn't plucked from the Cubs, uh, and I don't know if Bill Veck was still alive. I think he was. I think you know got rid of him. There's probably, re- re- if anything, Joe McCarthy should just stand as a sort of regretful decision in Cubs history because uh, you know he might have had more success with the Cubs than what they with rotating Hornsby and bringing Charlie Grimm and whatnot. But I don't know. I mean, if, if you, at this point now, Don Kessinger, the floor has been reached. Uh, we got our old Her- Harold Baines, so I'm not going to go against Joe McCarthy being in. I mean, so, especially for a team that only has been to 11 World Series in the century. Took yeah, he, managed, he managed four full seasons and part of a fifth for the Cubs because he got canned in 1930. Yeah. Um, although he got canned pretty late because he managed 152 games. <laughs> so they only can't fight him with two games to go. Yeah. Um, for the Cubs, he was 442 and 321 at 579 winning. So did he come back? Was he in the other dugout then in 32 when Ruth called his shot at Wrigley Field? Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, that's, he, that's re- he won. He managed the Yankees for 16 years. He won eight pennants, yeah, seven incredible. World Series. They and won and then he... Games. And then even he was, even he was outdone by Casey Stengel. Um, but that's one of those things in history, right, where things were changing. By the time Joe McCarthy was let, let go by the Cubs, the Yankees were, you know, had just sort of arrived, but nobody knew that they would uh, go on that run of historic dominance. So it's one of those what ifs. What if the Cubs had not let go of McCarthy, you know? So speaking of the 32 World Series. Next segue. Is Charlie Root, who threw the fateful pitch, great and, pitcher. And for people who said there was, there was, there, the, at least the Cub lore was, if you knew Charlie Root, if he really thought that Babe was standing at home plate, pointing at center field, that that's where he was going to hit it. The next mm-hmm. pitch would have been right in Babe's neck. And I think there's probably some truth to that myself. Yeah. I think a lot of pitchers back then. I think that's how the game was, honestly. And Root was uh, an above-average. Cubs had a, a sort of an arsenal of uh, not. 
great, not good, but great, not great, but good pitchers like Lon Warnicky, um was would be another Bill Lee, the other Bill Lee. Not Spaceman. Um, no, not Spaceman. Uh, not as colorful. He was, um, yeah, in, in 27, Route won 26 games. He won 200 as a Cub, which, you know, back then I think ranks high. And pitched in, uh, he was one that pitched in all three, I, or all four. I mentioned earlier about, uh, I don't know how many Cubs were on those uh, four different pennant winners, but Charlie Root would be one of them. So absolute, uh, no doubt about it, uh, Cub Hall of Famer. Much deserved. Third baseman from 1960 to 1973, Ron Santo. Five-time Gold Glove winner, nine-time All-Star. Oh, no! Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, National baseball. Him and Bruce Kim had their number retired in an emotional ceremony. How dare you disrespect my favorite Cub Leon Durham like that. But but don't you remember that Bruce had to get, Ron had to give permission for Kim to wear it? It hadn't been retired, though. It would be soon. it had been taken out of circulation. Circulation, yeah. But as a tribute to Jim Leland, Bruce Kim wanted to wear number 10. If I was Ron, I would have been like, fuck off. No. Yeah. Tough shit. Right. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised considering Ron uh, had a reputation as a guy who basically would have told people to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't. Maybe softened at his old so age. So we talked about Ron uh, several times on here. He was for a long time, he was the best player not in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's in the Hall of Fame, although he did not uh, live to see it. Posthumous. Um, yeah, he was a legitimately, he was a great player. And he sold pizza. And, yep. and toupees and Seattle Sutton Acapulco Taco Pie. He did it That's all. right. Yeah. A no-brainer, like I said. Good for Ronnie. Albert A.G. Spaulding. Yep. A legend. Uh, I want to say, I think I read somewhere. He's, you know he's from Rockford, right? Did you know that? Oh, of course, I live in his house. <laughs> That's how it works. Yep. <laughs> I believe he was born in Byron, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, had, um, that, uh, had that weird... No, he didn't, did he? Yeah, he had the weird U in his name. But didn't Spalding... Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's a different Spalding. Spalding? Well, that kid will eat oh, anything. <laughs> Spalding smells? <laughs> I'll, have a, I'll have a hamburger. No, 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 no. A cheeseburger, uh, a hot dog. Yeah, you'll have nothing in liking. Well, uh, this Albert is the... Oh, I know you. The think. U is in, is in Spalding smells, but not in Albert Spalding. Um, oh, there's he, no U in this one. No, there isn't. Oh, okay. uh, Spaulding's from Caddyshack has a U in his name. Okay, there is an Albert so Spaulding with a U. That's not this guy. Yeah, you know, interesting career. I mean, the guy managed to win 252 games in six and a, basically six seasons. <laughs> yeah. He uh, according to his, Again. his cub plaque with Different uh, game. William Holbert, he co-wrote the Constitution that founded the National League. Yeah, he was, you know, I don't know if he went to college, but he seemed pretty sharp. He got, he, he, uh, he was certainly entrepreneurial because he started the sporting goods company, uh, was born in Byron, but yeah, yeah I think he got to start in Rockford, end up in Boston, uh, before coming to the Cubs in 1876, his last full season as a pitcher goes out on top with 47 wins. He's in the, he's in the baseball hall of fame and he, there's way too much information here on his baseball reference page. He was cremated. Why, why do we need to know that? That's. Yeah, yeah, so, but yeah, pretty much a foundational member of the franchise. Andy Pafko. 
Sure. We talked about Andy recently. Center field. Last great. Outside of, outside of Rick Monday, the last great. Center fielder. Yeah, yeah. History. Besides Monday. Or was he yeah. from Boysville, Wisconsin? He was the boys. He was a local guy. And the, and the coach, yeah, he ended up playing at some pennant winners for the Dodgers. Nice career. Uh, well deserved. Not, I don't. Pafko is not a baseball hall of famer. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I'm he's almost not. positive he's not. No. Uh, his uh, nicknames were Handy Andy and Prushka. I don't want to know what Polish. What that is. <laughs> he's from Boyceville, Wisconsin. He was the boy from Boyceville, which is just a somebody's not not even putting in the time. That's just that's way too long. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He in his retirement, I know he lived near the Mount Prospect Golf Course. People would say how nice he was. Yeah, I think he may have worked as a starter there, just to get out of the house. But yeah, Andy Pafford would be the kind of guy like a Mark Grace that this thing is kind of created for guys that were memorable for a while, really good players, and you know, just not great players. That's why teams have their own Hall of Fames. Uh, Jimmy Ryan played no from idea. 1985 to 1900. He led uh, the National League in home runs. With what, four? In 1888 with 16. Wow, slugger. I I was surprised to see that he doesn't wear a mustache. It's the first player from the 19th century that a tie uh, on, is not mustachioed. Yeah. It's a baseball uniform. It's a suit, coat, and a tie, and you can see the CA from Chicago on the shirt under it. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, he could fill in at all the outfield positions as well as third, second, shortstop, and pitcher. Basically the Ian Happ. Of his era. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's get Ian's plaque ready. Hank Sauer. Yeah, another, yeah, probably a borderline Cub Hall of Famer. He was an MVP, I believe, 54. He had some pop. Uh, uh, but 52. He won an MVP. In 52, 52, okay. And he, had a, RBIs. he had a brother, too, that played for the Cubs. Uh, I will say, you know, if anything, Sauer was on those teams that were the first teams in history that were year in and year out not competitive. Again, that's the 1950s, the first dark age. That your dad, my dad, you know, growing up hearing stories of Kai Kai Kyler and Gabby Hartnett and and whatnot, getting so excited to follow the next generation, and then for the first time in history, it's second division. And Hank, Hank Sauer would be the, one of the guys that they would get to root for. Joe Tinker. 259 career hitter. <laughs> Stole 304 bases in 12 years. Okay. Uh, the starting shortstop for the back-to-back -back world champs in 07 and 08. Let all and all shortstops in fielding four times. This yeah. Three times. He was player manager in 16 and was elected for some unknown reason to the real Hall of Fame in 1946. Well, no, it's because of the fucking poem. Of course. Has a hundred double, double plays anyway. Right, has a higher war than uh, than Evers, so uh, he's got that's a feather. If anything, Evers is the guy you start with to make a case against. Fifty three point two war is probably not really Hall of Famer. It is above the Harold Baines line. He was a shortstop, player of the pennant winners, uh, certainly a Cub Hall of Famer. But yeah, I think uh, him and him and Evers both. It's questionable if they're truly deserving National Hall of Famers, but uh, it certainly belongs uh, in the left field bleachers, I guess. Pitcher from 1913 to 1921, James Hippo Vaughn. Yep. So. Games and not wins in nine seasons. The most by a lefty in franchise history. Oh, I did not know that. I would have just guessed that he made it because, again, for more prosaic reasons, because he participated in what would be considered the first nine-inning double no-hitter, 
with Fred Tony uh, of the Reds, I believe, at Wrigley Field, 1917. Uh, uh, his 151 uh, wins as a lefty, just ahead of John Lester, Steve Trout, and Lance Dixon. No kidding. And so now that Lester, boy, that, that record, we, I had no idea that Hippo no, Vaughn had, had a I, cup I, record I that really was, don't know who was. Oh, I thought you were looking. I thought you were looking. Lance Dixon was 0 for 0 and 3, wasn't he? Well, I, I got, I, you know what? I, I, I basically perseverated on the John Lester <laughs> one. I didn't even hear Dixon. Was I didn't even know? That, I don't remember that Dixon was left-handed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 151 for a left-hander, not a very high bar, but it's a bar nonetheless. So on that, those grounds alone. Let Hippo in, and then there's the no hitter, which, of course, the no hitter, the, the no hitter. I don't know who broke it up, but I know that Jim Thorpe, all American, uh, played in that game and had another hitter and somehow factored in, into the final score. But uh, let's see here. Um, was Bill Lee left-handed? The other Bill Lee was right. Uh, the the, uh, the the spaceman was. I don't think the other one was. Yeah, I can't. So uh, no, Hippo was it's not. Has the eighth most wins in Cub history at 151. Bill Lee and John Clarkson are the only two more on this list. Um, they, we don't know, so but everyone know else you can definitively tell are right-handers. Really who is uh, who's the next lefty? Uh, Interesting. Yeah, Lester wouldn't even have won 100, especially in this era. Yeah, nobody that we saw, God knows, right? Shit. Oh, they didn't have like uh, they had Greg Hibbert. Was the best. Yeah, Greg Hibbert, Danny Jackson. Uh, I mean, Trout would probably Trout, Trout's probably in the top ten. In our lifetime of Cub left-handers and victories. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Or it, just uh, say innings pitched. So, 11th, Ed Ruhlbach. Uh Rick Rushell, 12th. Greg Maddox, we know he wasn't. Uh, we know those two weren't left. Ne- neither. Yeah, I don't Grover, think Ruhlbach Cleveland, was Alexander, he. Carlos Sombrano, Claude Passeau. Right-hander. Pat Malone, Bob Rush, Lon Warnicke, Jack Taylor. Yeah. Bill Hans. No. I don't know if Bill Hands, we may have been. I just don't know. He was, yeah. Unless, let's. uh... I wonder how common left-handers. I assume all those old pitchers like Matthewson and uh, Rube Waddell and Mordecai Brown, some of the guys you mentioned, Alexander. I just assume they're all right-handers, but I could be wrong. So this is why I like doing things like this because I I learned something tonight. Hippo Vaughn is the all-time leader in Cubs history. For wins, a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, and he had jug I appreciate ears. He nice sure did. Really yeah, yeah. A, a, a gale force coming in off of Lake Michigan might uh, propel him out of the ballpark on a windy day. Hack Wilson, our own very own Babe Ruth, I guess, because he did hit fifty-six homers in a season once. Greatest center drink- fielder in Cup history. And drink like a fish. Yeah, the fact that he played center field, yeah. I think, probably speaks to the fact that the Cubs couldn't Five break eight, through. Two hundred pounds. <laughs> a fire but plug. he covered a lot of a lot of ground out there. And he did. I brought it up in a previous cast, but he did famously drop a ball with an eight-run lead in the nineteen twenty-nine World Series that turned the whole damn series around. So maybe if Hack Wilson's not your center fielder, uh, the Cubs win a World Series. Uh, was a great hitter, Bill Vec. Right, and if you ever uh, read Vec is in Rec, a classic uh, baseball bio- autobiography, talks about uh, being a young kid. Bill Vec himself was sort of hanging around the Cubs clubhouse and, and during this era, as his father, Bill Vec Sr., was the general manager, uh, helping Hack Wilson fight his way through a hangover, basically laying into a tub, and a you know 14-year-old Bill Vec just uh, carting buckets of ice back from the uh, trainer's room into the tub 
to keep uh, to keep Hack modulated. Well, so the famous story about Hack, right, which is probably bullshit, is which Wrigley would this have been, William? Uh, PK, uh, there's a uh, William, yeah, William, yeah. the benevolent uh, so and brilliant owner. He calls Hack into his office, and on his desk, he's got a glass full of gin and a glass full of water, and he takes worms and he puts worms, oh, puts a worm in each glass. And the one in the water swims around, and the one in the gin immediately dies. And he just looks at Hack and says, what does this tell you? And Hack says, as long as I keep eat, drinking gin, I'll never get worms. <laughs> yeah, you know, and Hack Wilson, I remember if you dig it, you could dig up some old Mike Royko articles. You talk about Ron Sano being the most famous. You know, he was known for being the most overlooked omission from the Hall of Fame. Uh, apparently, Hack Wilson was that of an earlier era, and, and Royko lamented the fact that Wilson eventually did, did get in on the Veterans Committee, and he, he lamented it because he said, well, now that Wilson's in, people aren't going to talk about him anymore because <laughs> apparently in the 70s, the only reason they talked about him was to make the case that he was had been a just a, a you know hugely overlooked uh, omission from the Hall of Fame, but he did get in. Uh, okay, next up, uh, there the alpha's a little weird. Philip K. Wrigley. Yeah, the oddball eccentric owner and you know really you talk about points in history when franchises turn like when Muggs Hallis died in 79 shifting the direction of the bears towards the McCaskies. We've talked tonight already about these pennant winners because this is why we are so, so many of those guys like Kyler and Wilson and uh, Charlie root, you know, are in the hall of fame. They had great players. Then uh, they competed every year for the pennant in those years. It was a team that, uh, William Vec Sr. had built, and he was given free reign by William Wrigley, who was a gum magnet, but absolutely loved baseball and threw all the resources at it. And William Wrigley unexpectedly dies, uh, I don't know, 1930, somewhere in the midst of that run. William Vec Sr. would also die shortly after, which it was a second double, it was a double whammy. But William Wrigley's death was really really set the, the course of the franchise to kind of almost where we're at, you know, the next 80 years. Um it fell into the hands of his disinterested son. He was interested in making money and, you know, and running the gum company, not so interested in, you know, maintaining a pennant winner, which is why PK Wrigley, uh, failed to listen to Bill Vec Jr.'s pleas when Bill Vec Jr. had become a young man and was trying to get into the game himself and could not convince P.K. Wrigley to let him run the Cubs after Bill Vec Jr.'s father had died. And it set a course for this franchise to go into that era that I talked about, the 50s, the first dark age. You know, they had a blip of success with the DeRocher era, but really with the Cubs as the lovable losers as they've been defined that didn't that was unheard of up until 1930 and by the mid to late 30s that's the direction they were headed and that's pretty much entirely due to that man yeah. philip pk wrigley so, so on his plaque he gets credit for uh being team president for pennants in 35 38 and 45 Credible. 35 and 38 were still players that uh william had uh helped assemble 45 yeah. was the war you know, yeah I mean, but right browns played in the world series in the 40s. right as Royko would say uh the only guys left were guys that were either um too um too too old or too enfeebled which i just love that word 
to uh, you know that were left behind. So the forty-five team is almost asterisk worthy, but yeah. So the so not riding, riding the coattails. Right. The story has always been that the Cubs were about to put lights up at Wrigley, and he donated mm-hmm. the steel for the war effort. And yep. Why? I think that's true too, to some degree. Forty years to finally find enough steel to put them up. I never well, quite understood. One thing he did that I think the other owners thought was idiotic. That I, and I don't know if I give him credit for it because I think it succeeded. I don't think what it, I don't know what his motives were, but he put every Cub game on, t- on like four all four local channels in the fifties, and they sucked. But it, I kind of helped grow the fan base, which is like the opposite of Bill Wirtz and the Blackhawks who didn't even like let him be on pay cable till like 10 years ago. So he was actually, and he kind of, he kind of set the, he kind of set the blueprint for Tribune company too. that, you know, the, the nineties Tribune ownership where he did invest in the ballpark. He ripped out a bunch of seats down the left field line where my seats are to where now they can shift. Like if you ever went to old Sox park or a really old ballpark, if you sit down the line, the seats face like the right field wall, but, Modern ballparks, of course, sh- shifted towards home. PK Wrigley, at great expense, did pull out all of those seats to make to sort of turn those seats on the left field line to face home plate. So he actually did invest a lot of money into that fan experience, which again makes him just the the perfect sort of ancestral godfather of today's Cubs management and Tribune, you know, Tribune to Cubs management because it was all about the fan experience. So I guess fans wouldn't complain, but the team itself, you know didn't didn't really do anything just just set the course for decades of woe but you know obviously it's a no-brainer to go in for better or worse uh, everybody's favorite cub third baseman heine zimmerman remember remember hearing that name as a kid <laughs> even before don zimmers with the cause like that was zimmerman heine what kind of a name yeah yeah, I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything about Heine Zimmerman. Was he on the 18 pennant winner? Or, you know, he was on the 08, 09. Yeah, okay. Was on, yeah, 7 and 8. He, um, okay. Oh, yeah, 7 and 8. He Sorry. won the uh, Triple Crown in 1912. All right. 372 with 14 homers and 104 RBIs. Yeah, and dead ball. 41 doubles. Yeah. So oh, in one year, season. That's pretty, pretty good, pretty even in the dead ball. For, for Heine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't teased. For that name. Now, the coolest player in Cub history. Bill is pretty cool. You know, he's still going, and he's still going strong. God bless. I'll be sad when Billy passes, but I don't, I'd don't. i be really shocked if it happens anytime soon. That motherfucker is just, he's just vibing. Sweet swinging <laughs> Billy Williams. Beautiful swing. 16 years with the Cubs. Uh, ranked third in club history with 2,510 hits, 392 homers. Uh, he played no. in a then NL record 1,117 consecutive games, and we're not going to fucking talk about the guy who broke the record. No, we're not. No, we're not. A no, six-time not. All-Star, he won the National League batting title in 1972, and they rewarded him by shipping him off to Oakland so he could actually play in some playoff games. He was yeah. elected to the Hall of Fame and had his number retired by the Cubs at a game I was at in 1977. Oh, cool. That's good. That's good stuff. I remember how upset my dad was when Williams kept getting uh, – uh, cut short. You know, Banks got in on first chance in '82, and Williams had to wait a little bit. Not like Santo, but I remember for about three or four years there was always a little bit of anxiety and then anger when he didn't get in. But he got in. He got in. You know, he got in. So who cares if you get in right away? But yeah, for sure. God bless Billy Williams. The one good owner in Cub history, <laughs> right. William Wrigley Jr. 
It really was. It's funny that PK was this kid, man, because this I mean, this guy was a smart businessman. He started up this soap company, you know, and then he kind of moves over to gum because it was selling. I mean, he was already wealthy. He just loved baseball, and he just knew to, like, put the right people in charge, stand back. I think the legend is that Bill Vex Sr. was a sports writer under the byline Bill Bailey. I could be wrong. It could, it could have been somebody else. And that, and this sounds totally apocryphal. It would never happen today in any event. But uh, Bill Vec Sr. peppering the owner about the, the state of the Cubs. And this was the sort of low, one of the rare periods at that point where they were, you know, not dominating. And uh, and so Wrigley suggested somebody to the effect of, well, if you're, you know, if you know that much about it, why don't you give it a shot? And offered him the job. And that kind of leads us, the segue right into Bill Vec Sr., but yeah, I was going to say followed. He's followed here by the worst owner in Cub history, <laughs> William Wrigley the Third, Bill. Oh, I thought it was Bill Vec. My bad, no. Bill Vec Senior. Oh yeah, so. Oh no, God no. forbid they put either the Vecs. They're not. Yeah, going to find him on this list. So he was only the owner for five years, William Wrigley. So they, he was the owner, and we became fans yeah. basically. But he was checked out. I think what happened was PK died, and then his widow died. His widow died shortly after, and this the inheritance crushed. I mean, couldn't have crushed him. They own fucking worldwide brand yeah. and, and, the, and the gum company. They but chose, they chose not to pay the taxes. That's what it was, and so that's 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 how it shook out. And that's at least you know, yeah, he sold them to the, William Wrigley the third. Sold the Cubs to the Tribune Company, and that was the end of the Wrigley era. But uh, it's funny. I guess you got to put him in, right? It's whatever. I mean, what, what the hell did he do? He was the owner for five years. <laughs> right. They put the other two in. What the hell? Might as well put. This just feels like the Tribune throwing him a bone. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, Bill, you want to come to the hall? I wonder, I wonder if he's even alive. Not that anyone cares. I mean, if P.K. Wrigley was sort of – P.K. Wrigley didn't leave an impression on anybody himself, right, even though he was the owner for years. I mean, rumor had it P.K. Wrigley would dress up like in a funny nose and glasses and sit in the bleachers. He was just a weirdo. Uh, but his son was even less I pity the poor intern who had to come up with something to write on Bill's plaque. Here's what they came up with. He was part of a 66-year run of the Wrigley family's involvement with the Cubs before the team was sold to the Chicago Tribune in 1981. That's basically the... He had a a long history of existence. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, Wilbur III died in 1999. He only lived 66 years. Really, nothing much to stand out except for a plaque in left field, which seems very much, very cursory. Next up... A guy inducted because he was Ron Santos' roommate. Glenn well, fuck, we already we already hit up Kessinger, so I don't know what more can be said here. It's just ridiculous. It just I've railed against this sort of nostalgia of the DeRocher era How Cubs. How did Gina Oliver get in? <sighs> yeah, I mean, is there not a Paul Popovich shrine that we can pay homage to? Um, he won yeah. a gold glove. One gold glove. So wow. I can't wait for Darwin Barney's uh, induction. Honestly, Darwin probably a better player, a four-time NL All-Star. Uh, he uh, Lord, wow. for seven years he had at least as many walks as strikeouts. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, wow. I mean, are we done with the? Are we done with the the, the Boomer Hour? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it might be some surprises. Who knows? Maybe I mean, well, Hundley's probably. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Next I haven't time. gone through this. Hey, hey! Yeah. Jack Brickhouse, who, every, you know, my, my one story I have about Jack Brickhouse is my aunt 
went to we went out we, we saw her Thanksgiving one year and she said hey she said it was a party I saw Jack Brickhouse dad's like oh what was he like I don't know but he had a big boil on his neck yes I remember you told that story so that's what uh, that's what Auntie remembered about Jack Brickhouse um, I just have a feeling that had I been a cub during Jack's heyday he would have really annoyed me a cub fan yeah he did he was not popular in my household yeah, he was not popular. Not he was Jack. he he gets in because he was there forever. Uh, we put up with him. I think I think fans put up. There might be some people that are nostalgic for him, but he didn't. He did not have the he did not have the personality of Harry Carey. Uh, I know. And if you talk to anybody that was around, whether they're like maybe a caddy somewhere where he golfed or any encounters with him, I guess he was always a bit of a prick. Not that that means anything. You know, they're not always in the best situation to, you know, interact. Uh, but of course you got to put brick house. And they've already honored him with the hey hey. Uh, but yeah, I don't I just in my household, brick house was not very popular. Nobody shed a tear and he left and we loved Harry, so it wasn't like we didn't like the broadcasters. After Jack Brickhouse, Milo Hamilton. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's a great name. Uh Outfielder from 1904 to 1916, Frank Wildfire Schulte. Sure. He was a slugging right fielder for the powerhouse Cubs of the early 1900s. Uh, first player yeah, so he... in Major League history to reach at least 20 doubles, triples, home runs, and steals in the same season. He's wow. kind of like uh, Sandberg in 80. No, Sandberg in 84, right? Didn't Sandberg have that year? Like 40 doubles, 20 triples, 20 homers? No, 19 triples. <laughs> Right, I know. He almost got almost it. Almost did it. Okay. Yeah, Schulte, not a baseball fan, but, you know, shit, he played on four pennant winners. So, for this franchise, that's a, that's a straight shot. Oh, here, I want to give an update. Um, I know who the um, the second winningest left-hander in Cub history is. Jamie Moyer? No, but about the same. Here's a guy, his career record, 84 wins. 110 he, losses. Did we watch him? Is he our era? No. Dick okay. Ellsworth. Ah. He's number two. Oh, my uh, God. His 84 wins, one more than current Cub ace, Kyle Hendricks. Okay. Next on the uh, list for lefties, that actual good left-handed pitcher, Ken Holtzman. Yeah. 80 and okay. 81. So John Lester, who we joked about, Fourth winningest left-hander yeah. in, Cub in Cub history. 77 wins. Oh, this my God. Fourth most. And you know what? That's, Lester, the, uh, that's, the, that's the Bears wide receiver of... Well, well, and of course, we're using a metric that means less and less as time goes on. What, what this does it mean... It used to mean a lot. What, what it does mean is that Hippo Vaughn will, when we die, he will... No one is going to catch Hippo now. Uh, he will always be the all-time left-handed uh, leader. Johnny Morris through. and Hippo Vaughn will always have a special spot in our hearts. Oh, God help us if Johnny Morris's record can't be fucking eclipsed. But that's a great trivia question about Hippo Vaughn. I'm gonna, if I'm ever a quiz master for a trivia game, I'm putting that one in. Cubs all-time leader, leading left-hander in victories. Next up, oh, I should have waited a couple. I could have had a segment. But next up, Ed Rulebach. Yeah, part nineteen thirteen. Yeah, part of the rotation with Mordecai and Orville overall. Um, great pitcher and a great team. No-brainer. Uh, cool stat about Ed Rulebach. He's the only pitcher in baseball history to throw two shutouts in one day. Wow. He threw shutouts in both ends of a doubleheader against Brooklyn on September 26, 1908. I'm actually kind of surprised that's only happened uh, that once, but all right. 
Here's a guy that the Cubs were wanted to, or wanted to honor so much that they spelled his name wrong. Horrible <laughs> overall. But on the pull-down list, he's Avril. <laughs> nice job. Morons. Uh, or wow. 84 and 43 with a 1.94 ERA in six years with the Cubs. He yeah. uh, won 20 games in 07 and 09. And he won. He was the Jake Arietta of the 1908 World Series. He went 2 0. He earned yes. the win in the decisive game. He did. Against he, he recorded it. So, uh, between, you can draw a line between Orville overall and Joe Borowski. Um, Orville had recorded the last out. So Joe Borowski was the first Cub to record a the final out in a series clinching game. Wow! Since since Orville, so <laughs> there you go. It only took ninety five years. Yep, yep. Did I we? We're we, gonna say that you could draw a line because you can between Orville overall and Mike Montgomery. That too. They are the, they are oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two now, Cubs and you can the final out of a World Series. And I'm just, answer. and I'm going to assume that overall was a right-hander. Yeah, he was. Okay. Here's where I could have held my water and had a better segue. Ken Holtzman. Yeah, he's right there. Yeah, through two no-hitters with the Cubs. Um, Jake. Yeah, and, and on this when I had to pitch for the Padres in a game against the Rockies. No, that. And they got his tits lit up. Yeah, uh, and on the '69 Cubs, I believe. I believe he went nine and zero. That was that the year he went nine and zero because he was in the Army, and he would come. He would be. He, would, he could only pitch on weekends. Um, <laughs> so he was he was in the Armed Forces. Yeah, he, he had one season with the Cubs where he was nine and zero. It's like uh, and then bl- it's like Dwayne Kuyper right now can only do uh, Giants TV games on Saturdays and Sundays at home because it's the only time his. Uh, He's having chemo. It's the only time his doctors right. will let him do the games. And they let him do really it. That's pissing cool. pissing Dwayne off. I heard a podcast he was on, and he uh, would like to work more. But uh. Sure, sure. Yeah, and Holzer, I believe, was traded for uh, for Rick Monday, if well, I'm not 1967. mistaken. 1967. Yeah, he went 9-0. Oh, 67, two, not 69. ERA and 12 starts. Okay. In 69, wow. he was 17-13. and 13. Uh, He won 17 yeah. games again in 70. Yeah, and good his pitcher. reward was by 1972 he was uh, pitching for the A's in the World Series, so they did him a favor. He he got a ring, and then uh, he had a less than sterling run. He came back to the Cubs, I believe. I don't know if he got his. I thought he may have come back at the end, but he did rather insignificant. His final two seasons, 78 and 79, for the Cubs. He went a combined six and 12. Yeah, well, well, it is a Cub tradition like no other. Pitchers come back. Yeah, he uh, he got traded. It was now, Monday, 70, right? Seventy-six. I was looking. At, he spent half the year with Baltimore and half the year with the Yankees. And, um, okay, I remember that his Yankee career didn't go very well. Yeah, no, the Cubs and A's where he had success. Ah, uh, the Rebel. Well, Randy, if you put Randy Hundley, if you're going to put Kessinger and Becker and you got, I mean, come on, he's, everyone knows Randy Hundley lives in the area still. And we still like Randy, even though we hated his son, even his son couldn't like ruin Randy's right, legacy. Right. That's how good Randy was <laughs> or not how good, but that's how uh, likable he was that you know, yeah. even though he's coked up kid. Uh, although it turned out fine because it turned into Mark Godzalonic and Eric Carroll. That's right. That's right. In the end. In the end. Which I do think probably blunted the hatred for Todd. 
Probably. It's like, ah, we didn't have to put him in that long, and we got two pretty useful players out of him, so whatever. Go yeah. On. And, you know, Hundley was, I don't know if he ever made an all-star team, but uh, it's a low bar, like we said, with catchers. He, made, he was an all-star one okay. time. Uh, 1969. I mean, go, go figure. Anyway, uh-huh. Well, I mean, Heaven forbid he get a break this season. <laughs> there was like a three-year period where DeRocher just pretty much caught him at like 150 games. Yeah, he, he, I mean, it was rough. Appeared in at least 149 games in four straight seasons, which is yeah. asinine. Yeah, especially for a and, and the Cubs at this point. Are, the yeah, they're 20 years going on the only team that plays all their games during the day. So you'd think you'd mitigate against that. Um, as it was, I'd say between Hartnett and Contreras, that Hundley and Jody Davis are probably right right next. And he's probably top five for the Cubs, maybe a low bar because there haven't been that many. But again, Hundley would be the type of guy I would say that this type of Hall of Fame would be designed for. And he uh, is well known for his fantasy camp. He started yeah. the trend. Yeah. And uh, right now when you watch the Cubs, it uh, looks like they're having it during the regular season. Okay. Maybe I could the, be out the there. Romine brothers jacking around on the field is great. It's awesome. <laughs> I, you, who would have thought that the Cubs would be recruiting from Randy Hundley's fantasy camp? But you know, it's it services as a reservoir apparently. One of next guy, one of two great Canadian pitchers that, that played for the Cubs. It's not Ryan Dempster. It's the other one, Ferguson. Oh. Yeah, and we got we got to uh, experience Fergie too, which wasn't that bad. He was actually still pretty good uh, second time around, uh, but obviously his induction is based on you know just a really stellar, incredible one of the greatest performances for a six seven year period. Uh, he ranks up there with uh, with Mordecai. I mean, really, he's arguably one of the best starting pitchers in Cubs history. Because, uh, you know, those pennant winners in the 20s and 30s had a lot of good pitchers, but not, like, great no-hall of famers. Fergie, you know, Fergie was one of the best pitchers in the game. So. He, um, between 1967 and 1972, he threw at least 20 complete games every year. He led the league in complete games with 20 and 67, 24 and 70, 30 and 71, and 29 in 1974. Uh, he did it again. Oh, sorry, 74 was with Texas. He did it again in 75 with Texas. Uh, he led uh, the National League in innings in 1971 with 325. And wow. um, there was a time when there were only two pitchers in baseball history who had more than uh, 3,000 strikeouts while allowing less than 1,000 walks. I thought Fergie was the first. He was. And the second and then Maddox joined was him. also number 31 for the Cubs. Yes. Greg Maddox. Yes. And also pitched for the Cubs twice. Kurt Schilling has since joined them. Ah, so uh, okay. But, uh, the thing about Maddox, though, and he, I'm sure he's, oh, we'll wait till we get to Maddox. I'll bring it up since we've mentioned We'll come back. But, yeah, tip my hat to, Kurt, to Fergie. Um, I don't. Do Are we going to? Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, we're almost done with this era. As the last guy in the old folks era, Old Hoss, Rig Stevenson. Didn't even know that was his nickname, but yep, that would be my grandpa Donahue's favorite ball player. Uh, part of those uh, much discussed. Who knew that? Remember this crap could reach back to the, uh, you know, to the Franklin Delano Roosevelt era, Her- Herbert Hoover. But Stevenson, uh, very much a part. I don't know if he was on all four of those uh, um, of those teams like Charlie Root was, but he was uh, again not a baseball Hall of Famer, above average player for a while, and a central piece to uh, this perennial contender 
that was much celebrated. Teammates with Kai Kai and Gabby. Good old Riggs. Good old Riggs Stevenson. Yeah, best best number five in Cub history other than uh, Chuck Cottier. Right. Uh, how dare you dismiss Albert Almora third like that, base, my friend? Third, third base coach. No. Chuck Cotty. <laughs> All right. Now, oh, we're going to have some repeats here. Oh, i got to do work now. When you go to the new era. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, what are you following? Because we've been—I've been following along with you, but I'm looking at just like the plaques. Ever Stevenson, I see like Russia. So they did it by era, or is that what it is? A few more mixed in, so I'll have to. But uh, okay, next up is Big Daddy himself, the whale, Rick Russia. Used to bag a deer or two on your dad's property. I remember you told that story. Yeah, great. You know. Loved Rochelle. He he would be, he was you know probably for you too the first eight when we first the Cubs became part of our consciousness that was the guy had been for a few years um, Rochelle and they dealt him in eighty one gave him a chance to go to the World Series and then he uh, kind of got injured and then came back and really blew out his arm but then had a weird renaissance after the Cubs helped him rehabilitate and then he pitched against the Cubs in a rare postseason that we discussed in eighty nine uh, border stash. Yes, yeah, right. When he came back, yeah, border. Good. I mean, I, honestly, borderline, borderline, uh, baseball Hall of Famer. I know there's no pitching equivalent of Harold Baines, but Russell did win 200 games, uh, pitched for a long time, and um, you know, no brainer for this for sure. But yeah, we, we love the whale. Another guy that pitched for the Cubs and came back. Great athlete too, for a fat guy. Cubs announcer from 1982 to 1997, Harold Carabina, Harry Carey. Yeah, yeah. Again, part of that, he ushered in with Dallas Green and the Trigger Company. Whole new identity. You know, the hell with Jack Brickhouse and his weirdness. Harry Carey really brought excitement to it, man. And it was right at a point where the, the whole country was being electrified by cable television. And it was a perfect time for him to become like the sort of national presence that he was. And we're, t- you know, and of course it worked both ways as we talk about whether it's Will Ferrell or Ryan Dempster often caricatured Harry in the final years. But, you know, we remember the early years, especially 82 till his stroke in 87. Uh, he was just, just a cracker Jack broadcaster. I don't know what more you can say. Just so much fun to listen to. So honest, uh, so into it. And, uh, you know, just made the games exciting even when the product on the field wasn't. Yep, Harry was Harry was great. He um, he could not and would not hide his disgust at poor play. Which did, not, did, not insult, did not insult the fans by pretending that what you were watching wasn't shit. Which, which is something is, is that mu- does not happen enough. In- not nowadays. As much as I love Virgil Patrick Hughes, he often sometimes goes into a little propaganda mode. Harry would never uh, never deign to do that. No, sir. So, much deserved. Next guy on the list is a Hall of Famer. He was an MVP. He won nine gold gloves, seven silver sluggers. He was a ten-time All-Star. Ryan D. Sandberg. That's D-E-E, kids. That was his middle name. Strange. Yeah, uh, probably the greatest player whose entire career was basically with the Cubs that you and I witnessed, um, or at least the first. What do you get older? Full of games with the Phillies, right? Yes. As we get older, I get, we're going to, yeah, who knows what the future brings. I mean, you know, Sosa would be a guy that would almost fit that bill. It was basically, we, we saw his whole career, legitimate Hall of Famer. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's a slam dunk. 
Well, and Chris Bryant, he'll. he'll well, that's the thing. I was, I was going to say, like, reti- there might be a. I, I saw myself because in, in, in my head I was like, Anthony well, there's going to be a. a there's there's going to be a whole new, you know, coterie of players now. And then I've stopped. I'm like, well, I mean, they'll, they'll all be in the Cubs Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, of course. Brennan Davis. The World Series. That's yes. the only guy we have left. Brennan Davis. There's, yeah, because there's nobody in between Sammy and the current era, right? Because they're always swapping guys. I mean, you know, Derek Lee. I mean, nobody who really was like a guy that comes up and you see him struggle. And then you see him, you know, and you see him do, him do incredible things. And then he struggles at the end. But you saw the whole arc. Uh, Sandberg probably fits it more to a T for anybody of our generation than anybody else. Nineteen eighty four Scion Award winner, the Red Baron. Rick yeah, no brainer. Yeah, and that's just because of what he did in eighty four, which is almost Arietta esque. Although I would think what Arietta did in twenty fifteen would exceed it slightly, but what Sutcliffe did was incredible. Leads the Cubs to the postseason for the first time in thirty nine years. Goes sixteen and one after being acquired mid season, but then he ended up. He did. It wasn't just that he he stuck around through the 91 season he was their opening day starter every season through 89 uh almost won the cy young again in 87 uh narrowly missing out to steve bedrosian and uh you know injured a lot star crossed i'm sure he won well, what do you how many did he win with the cubs uh 80, only 82 80. i would have thought he would have won 100 um, but for 84 and then just sort of being the anchor, he was on the 89 team too. He got a start in that series. So, you know, the rarity of a, of a cub being on two different playoff teams, especially then, um, you know, that's, he was almost a little in some ways, just a little bit behind Sandberg. Uh, yeah, the 16 to one with a two sixty-nine area and basically two thirds of a season. Um, yeah, it was nuts. I think so. Jake's, the second half of night of 2015 um, is might very well be the best anyone has ever pitched um, in history. Look at Jake's numbers, and they're just they're just they're god awful ridiculous. Which it felt is, like it at the time. I'll tell you which that. Is why he should have never come back. But I know, I know, never came I know. I'll be able to suppress it. I'm good at that. Get your pencils and scorecards ready, Pat Piper. Is in the <laughs> deserved the Wayne Mesmer of his era. I don't think he sang the anthem before the games, but he was the PA announcer. And and the thing the thing that cracks me up just picturing. I don't know if I've even seen a picture of it. Is that in this era? And he he got. I mean, he stretches. He touches from 1917 to 74. Goodness, that's and that's more that's than that. a, he was a vendor for the Cubs starting okay. in 1904. He had that's he an, spent 70 Jesus. years with the Cubs. <laughs> that's an epoch. But he, as a PA announcer, he sat on the field, if I'm not mistaken, like on a stool directly behind home plate against the brick wall with like almost like a just like comically oversized cone. Yeah, he had, a, he had an original megaphone, not the kind with the – little speaker in it he was just yelling into a tra- basically a traffic cone and <laughs> it, it's, what like 800 people can actually hear him it's like oh that's great well yeah. luckily for him especially in the 50s yeah, that would have meant that all the fans could hear him yeah so yeah that's that's that makes sense bill buckner absolutely 
probably my first favorite. Your one of your anything is your first favorite. Yep, I love Bill Buckley. Uh, yeah, we both did. Great player, led the league in hitting in eight, 1980. Uh, the first in our life of, of that long line of uh, just really good defensive first baseman, really good hitter. Um, yeah, that's uh, again, that's that's this is the kind of thing. He's the kind of player for whom this thing would be created. Come for about seven years. Uh, his his eyebrows were so thick it looked like he had uh, two more mustaches just over each eye. Yeah, they're spares. I mean, honestly, if he wore eye black, he would basically he would get accused of, of uh, playing in blackface because everything would be covered in something that was black. <laughs> um, yeah, he played for the Cubs for eight years. He had 300 on the nose. Um, in eight seasons with the Cubs, Bill Buckner struck out 159 times. Wow. That's better than Mark Grace. Very similar hitter to Grace. Because well, I think he didn't walk. That was the weird thing. He only walked 187 times. So his on base wasn't that high, right? As, as much as yeah, it was driven by by just his ability to get hits. I didn't know that he didn't have a high on base. So Grace was probably better in that regard. Because you you brought up some Grace stats where even in the 80s it was kind of incredible how how infrequently he struck out. Yeah. Buckner was similar. So it's pretty crazy. To, I mean, now guys strike out 159 times, you know, mm-hmm. season without blinking. Well, like we said, the game's different. We've just covered a whole slew of pitchers that would throw yeah. a thousand pitches an inning, so or a thousand pitches a season. Uh, you can't have a Hall of Fame without somebody to clean it up. Cubs clubhouse attendant Yoshiko Wano. How many Hall of Fame plaques do you do you think have guys just wearing a wife beater? That's that's the that's what I, that's what I want. And a bucket hat. I mean, it looks good. <laughs> We all know Yosh. Yosh probably would not have been elevated to this if it had it not been for Arnie Harris and WGN, sort of making him a little bit of a local celebrity, which was fun. Uh, I just remember like being a kid watching a game, and like the camera would catch him standing like outside, like the door in the left field corner, kind of peeking out, and then either Harry or Jack Brickhouse came over, "Hey, there's Yosh," and then kind of give him his you know five minutes there. Yosh is like, "Could you uh, hurry this shit along a little? Come on, some of us, some of us got lives. Yeah. We don't need to be here the whole time." The picture that they have on the plaque, he's leaning up against the door, and he, the look on his face is basically—it looks like he's looking into the clubhouse, and it's like. <sighs> Would you fuckers just pick up your towels? Yeah. <laughs> Would it kill you? Me. Just pick it. It's right there. Just pick it up. I just shouldn't have to go around and pick up everybody's towel. Uh, you know, and then didn't Yosh have a brother that was like the longtime the uh, equipment guy for the Dodgers? Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he lived long enough to see the Cubs win the World Series, but I think he, uh, dementia had sort of begun to eat away at him. So it says he's retired in 2008. So. Yeah, because for a while, I think he was like the trivia question when the Cubs went to the playoffs in 84. Like, who's the one guy that was still part of the 45 Cubs? Yosh Kawano, because he started in 43. Next up, the good kid. Ah, the good kid. Local hero, South Suburbs. Um. I think he played basketball at Thornwood, too. Won a World Series as another player manager. World Series, 19, the last World Series the Indians have ever right. won. 1948 confounded Ted Williams also in 40. Uh, uh, I think to get to the World Series in 48, they had to beat the Red Sox in a three-game uh, uh, square off so they could play the other Boston team, the Braves. And I think uh, well, I think a lot of teams put the shift on Williams. But I think Boudreaux gets some credit. He gets for, all the credit. 
Well, in that series, I think a lot of teams did it more than we thought. But Boudreaux was definitely, and he was a young guy, like in forty, not, not young, but forty-eight. He wasn't like he was an everyday player. He won the MVP in forty-eight. He had a great season. He might have been their fucking shortstop. There's the shortstop. He's the MVP. He's the manager. I know that's for Cleveland, but yeah, and he shuts down Ted Williams and wins the World Series. And Cleveland, I mean, he better damn well be in the in the Cleveland what Guardians Hall of Fame. Um, I, can't, I, I can't imagine. For that season alone, but and you know, for the Cubs, he is a local guy, and then we, you and I know Lou because he was the voice on the radio along with Vince Lloyd when we started listening to games, whether it was uh, Jack or Harry on TV. I mean, Vince and Lloyd were there through; they were there in '84, actually. Um, uh, he, Boudreaux was was broadcasting games to the late '80s, and he was pretty good. Yeah. Actually, he did his homework. I remember. He's, he's in the real Hall of Fame. He is. It might be questionable there, though, as far as the course of his career. I don't know what kind of a War he has, but and he managed the Cubs for part of one season. He was one of the college of coaches too, yeah. And nineteen sixty, and that nineteen sixty was the year that uh, they fired Charlie Grimm and had Charlie replace Lou in the booth and had Lou replace Charlie <laughs> as the manager. That's how they were running things. Well, that's PK Wrigley. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got to pay both of them. We might as well have them. You know, just and uh, and I apologize for besmirching Lou. He had a sixty three point six WAR. That puts you sort of in. Um, that's pretty much Hall of Fame inarguable. I don't know what people consider. All I know is that Harold Baines is thirty eight seven. But yeah, good kid. Definitely belongs in the Cub Hall of so Fame. That brings us to the final member. Other than uh, uh, we didn't get to Margaret Donahue. No, and a few others I see, but yeah. Oh, is there more? Because I, 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 I see. Well, yours. I wonder if they're like up, maybe they're editing this and like ch- like correcting the spelling and over overall because you had sort of bounced around a little bit from what I had, but no. I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you who I have left. Otherwise, is it used to be called the Hawk. Now he's just the Undertaker, Andre Dawson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, anybody in our generation, he's he's in your uh, Mount Rushmore of Cubs, I think, especially growing up. Came to the Cubs almost a little bit past his prime, at least defensively, because of his knees. Um, I don't mean I don't. I shouldn't say past his prime. He won a fucking MVP, and he was a badass for a while. But he wasn't this, like he was such a tremendous center fielder with Montreal. If he didn't have, uh, if he wasn't playing on that concrete Olympic stadium or didn't have genetically bad, I mean, he could have been an all timer for sure. I know he's, he's a little bit of a controversial hall of famer, you know, kind of in the Jim Rice category. Uh, certainly, certainly absolutely hundred percent, uh, cub hall of famer. Yes. Yeah. 174 homers in six years. Obviously 87, he led the national league in homers and RBIs. Uh, he won, uh, uh, five-time, he was a five-time NL All-Star with the Cubs. Yeah. Um, two time, won two only, gold gloves with the Cubs and was elected into the Hall of Fame in 2010. He, he was only with the Cubs for six seasons, I want to say. So, five out of six years, he was a Hall of Fame. He was an All-Star. So, yeah, just great right fielder, great arm, just, you know, all around. Played on a playoff team. A lot of good memories. All right, so who did I miss? Leo the Lip. Oh, yeah. Where is... Yeah. Uh, DeRocher, all-timer. Basically, I... You know, I I think think I'm I'm in the process of rethinking uh, my 
my idea of Leo DeRocher's legacy with the Cubs because I'm almost starting to think he was probably the worst, not not a good manager to have had for those teams. If you got four Hall of Famers, how do you not win the pennant? I mean, Wait, you could say, well, here's more. Okay. I mean, DeRocher, he did turn the franchise around after that dark age. I mean, after, you know, by the time, I remember my dad being so relieved, and he didn't even care it was DeRocher. He was to get rid of that college of coaches. At that point, the Cubs were going on 20 years of just embarrassing play after never having that kind of a history prior. Uh, They do turn it around, but who's to say they don't turn it around based on, regardless of who the manager was, they had talent coming up. You know, they had, they had Banks who was getting old, but they had Williams and Sano in their prime. They had Jenkins, Bill Hands won 20 games. Um, I mean, the one criticism I know about DeRocher 69 is that he relied on nobody but his starters, right, that Paul yeah. Popovich was the only guy on the bench. And right. well, and the bullpen. He didn't use, he wouldn't use very many guys out of the bullpen. He wore that team out. Yeah, he wore them out, and they were playing day games. He didn't take that into account. I mean, you could win playing day games. Jim Fry did in 84. You got to take it into account is all. And he just, he rode them into the ground. So, I don't know. I good, you know, Kudos to Leo for making the Cubs interesting for the first time in, uh, in two decades. And then also, like, well, shit, you really, you really sort of beat that whip. That, that horse was dead. Was it 69 that he uh, left for a few days and went on his honeymoon? Yeah, was that sixty? Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. You know, he's certainly an, an all-time character in history. Just you know, volatile. Babe Ruth hated him because he was a shitty hitter, and he kind of brought the Yankees down. But he was a scrappy ball player. He was on the Gas House game, so he's almost like a little bit of a Walter Mitty or like a Forrest Gump in baseball. He's on a, you know, teammates with Ruth, and he's on the Gas House gang, and he ends up with Brooklyn, and then he famously leaves them for the Giants, and. uh you know, it just he was a character, and so he came to the Cubs as an old man, almost like Lou Pinella, and got him close, fell short, and now we're dealing with a generation of baby boomers that are putting Don Kessinger and his single-digit war into this uh, exhibit. So, I guess that's something. Yeah, uh, after the go ahead, Cubs closer from 1976 to 1980, Bruce Suter. Just uh, incredible. I mean, when I came of age, he was at the peak. So he was like a, he was just a white light when I was a kid. He was phenomenal. He, he, in four consecutive all-star games, Suter got a win, win, and a save and a save. The last one being with St. Louis in 82, but three straight years of the Cubs, he fact, crappy Cubs teams. He he factors into the all-star game. Um, Eventual Hall of Famer, best known probably for the homer he gave up to Sandberg as a Cardinal, but uh, just uh, when he burst onto the scene with a split-fingered fastball that nobody had seen, he was uh, he was an absolute spectacle, and uh, you know, certainly worthy. So I never, I I always assumed the Cubs trade him because they were cheap. They, didn't want, they, didn't they were because he beat them in arbitration the year before. So they he were went, up went there, to the Cardinals, whatever. and they had the goods. They let him go at just the right time because his second contract with the Braves, and he was not. Yes. Yes. He basically, his arm was shot by then. Cardinals got one World Series out of him, so it was worth it for them. And, uh, yeah, a career, he, he managed to save 300 games. He was the first, you know, I mean, relievers have kind of been a thing, I guess, since the Second World War, maybe the 60s more accurately. Jerome Holtzman invents the save in 69. You had guys like Raleigh Fingers, Sparky Lyle won a Cy Young in 76. Gossage was known as the Yankees, but Suter, as far as counting, he like he just started racking up saves, took, taking advantage of that stat. 
he may have been the, I think fingers did get to 300 Suter might've been second. Um, but he was one of the first early great closers and he did a lot of that work with, uh, some mediocre Cubs teams. The newest member of the Cubs hall of fame, Margaret Donahue and Midge. Margaret broke the barrier for women in sports says major league baseball's first female officer outside of team ownership hired as a stenographer with the Cubs in 1919. She was promoted to corporate secretary in 26 and in 1950 to vice president and secretary. So wow. PK made that job up for her. a post she held until right. her retirement in 1958. And the picture they have of her, uh, it looks like she's wearing uh, like Amelia Earhart's. Is she letter. a flapper? Is she, is that a flapper? <laughs> But that's her hair. That's uh, she's a look at Margaret Donahue. Uh, yeah, I guess for the Cubs for good old Aunt Midge. You know, and good for you know PK Wrigley again. Like eccentric, didn't help the team at all. So negative there. Uh, big on the fan experience, and I guess kudos for him for having some progressive foresight, thinking outside the box. And uh, apparently, she had invented the concept of the season ticket. I don't know if that's true or not. I, re- I read that earlier today, yeah. and you know, and I think it, it, it may even been Bill Vex Senior and William Wrigley that sort of had sort of brought her on. It said that she was hired, a, promoted to corporate secretary in '26. She must have been an interesting person uh, in those times to be climbing up the ranks there, and, and a team that was winning. So. Um, you know, she, I'd like to, I'd like to, to know more about my aunt Midge, uh, frankly. And I, you know, based on what we know, I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty neat inclusion. I'm cool with that. Uh, William Holbert, who we learned in the AG Spalding plaque, uh, co-wrote the National League Constitution. Yeah. Um, he was the, uh, president of, uh, the Chicago Baseball Club. Uh, oh, he was also the president of the National League in 1877 until his death in 1882. Uh, so he would have been the president of, what, the Orphans or the Whales or whatever the hell they were. Yeah, back then. yeah. Chicago National League Ball Club. All right, now we're down to the to the last two Cubs to be inducted into the real Hall of Fame, and they are the last two members of the Cub Hall of Fame. Uh, That's right. My favorite pitcher of all time, my beloved Greggy, Greg Max. So the stat that I wanted, you might a quick Google search might yield it, but as you mentioned, Andy, uh, he was the second. I mean, the, the parallels are pretty hilarious, but he was the second pitcher to retire uh, with over three thousand strikeouts and fewer than a thousand walks. Fergie being the first one, and it's funny because they both pitched for the Cubs. They both wore thirty-one. They both left the Cubs and came back uh, with Fergie. I mean, with you know, it was one thing with Maddox. It was kind of a heartbreak because he left in his prime. We we hashed that over. But about that 1,000 walk thing was, I want to say that Maddox had reached 900. He finished with 999. 99. Uh, and he, I, I'm pretty sure that he achieved 999 um, with about six more starts or so left in his career, something like that. You read that on Decipio. Um, somewhere, I actually went and did the math. That's it. How many batters that little bastard faced with 999 walks. And you know damn well he knew he had 999 walks. Uh-huh. And, and he's old. It was. It was. Uh, and I even looked at how many three ball counts he got in at some at one point. Can you recall it offhand? No. Okay. It's, I'll try to. I could try to find it. There's a. I've mentioned it a couple of times. It might be worth reposting because it's such a fa- fascinating thing. Because you know he was at the end of his career, so he's old too. You know he doesn't want to just give up homers too. So he's got to really be cerebral in his approach. Um. Yeah, I mean, he 
you, know, you get all the... It, he's the guy who you really want him to write a book, and he's never going to do it. Because instead, somebody should write a book where they just they find other people to tell stories about Greg. Because some of the stuff, it some of it we've talked about. The, the home run he gave up to Jeff Bagwell with the Astros... Mm-hmm. And then Age mm-hmm. was winning eight nothing, and Javi Lopez says to him something like, "Well, that was a tough break that you know he lost yeah. the shutout." And he's like, "Lost the yeah. shutout? No, no, no. He gained so much more. The uh, yeah, he, gave, he gave that home run on, on purpose. Right. The uh, the time the umpire fucked him on a strike on a ball on a ball to Vladimir Guerrero Vladimir. for which he'd been setting him up for three years, yep. and how angry he was that you know he'd spent all that time preparing for that oh, moment. He called he called for all the pitches of a Frank Castillo shutout from the Cub dugout." <laughs> he would famously tell batters, tell guys in the dugout to move, and then the next pitch would get fouled where they were sitting in the dugout because he could tell by the batter's swing and he knew what pitch was coming up next that if the hitter was just a little bit late, they were going to rifle it right into the dugout. I mean, and it's a shit that didn't just happen once. People tell stories about this like it used to happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we got the bookend. Well, not really bookend because he even went after the Cubs the second time. We all we all know that. Yeah, he traded but himself he, for uh, Cesar Torres. That's right. Uh, but even if you you know his best years were in Atlanta, but he actually he his stats would probably still rank with the Cubs because uh, he did. I mean, he, he burst. Uh, he, his breakout season was eighty eight. And he won. That's when he started his fifteen wins per season streak. So. So that's five years that he had with the Cubs. He had five really good years, and then he had a couple good years in the back end. So you know, seven eight years that were above average is uh, is good enough for most teams. I'm not I'm not just ripping on the Cubs, but uh, you know, you get a seven or eight year run with what he did. That's that that usually ranks. But then, and they, and they Scott Boris always insists that the Cubs and they had an agreement, and Stanton Cook told um, who would have been the general manager at the time. Uh, Larry Himes told him that that was too much and to go back with a different offer and Boris said fuck you and they went yeah. to the Yankees and the Yankees had actually made the highest offer but Greg they didn't did. pitch for the Yankees so the Braves got close and Greg went to pitch for the Braves it was probably his destiny I mean that was that great pitchers down there it's just a really no so Leo Mazzoni like, always like to tell a story about um, towards the end of his Braves career after a game Greg walked over to Leo and handed him a ball and he's like, what is this? And he's like, it's the ball for my 300th win. And Leo's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, if you take my regular season wins and my playoff wins, this today was my 300th win. He goes, I don't know why the hell playoff wins don't count. They're harder to get. Yeah. So he had already celebrated his 300th win long before he got his 300th win. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because, well, I guess it is not fair to good pitchers on shitty teams that don't go to the playoffs. But it's still, you're right. We've always separated that. So the final member of the Cubs Hall of Fame, Lee Arthur Smith. Yeah. He is still the Cubs all-time leader in saves with 180. 180 is the mark, huh? So Studer didn't get there. Randy Myers was only there three years. Okay. No, it's, uh, it's, wait, it's out there waiting for uh, Manny Rodriguez. Three, for, I mean. the man run, who has one, I think. Smith. 179 more. Smith started saving games in 81 and kind of took over in, 80, in 82 and 83. I remember him being really dominant and he started trying to work in a slider. Sometimes it would cost him. Uh, he was still really effective. 84, 85 gave up the homer at Garvey. We know that, but you know, uh, yeah, he was really only the, the close over six years. I want to see probably, probably average about 30 saves a season. Um, yeah. And he's a baseball famer, right? He finally got in. Yep. 
Um, yeah, Lee Smith. He would like he would uh, supposedly sleep in the in the clubhouse for the first six innings of every game. Or like hearing a story where Johnny Oates yelled at him once before, you know, realizing years later that that that's just that's just how he was. Yeah. Send some kid over to McDonald's to get us a couple cheeseburgers before he'd warm up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the the Cubs traded him. Um, because uh, uh, Jim Fry, he, Jim Fry didn't like him. He'd been his closer in '84, and he didn't. He just didn't like him, probably because of the sleeping thing. But he was—he'd pitched eight years in the big leagues, and he was washed up. He was going to be done. So you don't yeah, want to just, yeah. just get something for him. Let's get Al Nipper and Calvin Chiraldi for him. That's all you need. That'll be fine. Um, so then uh, he only goes on to uh, pitch ten more seasons, yep, and um, save uh, two hundred and ninety-eight more games. So he had over 400 then, 470? 478, which I th- was at the time he retired the most. Because Hoffman was still pitching. So Hoffman and Rivera have both passed him, right? That sounds right. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. I, so I think Hoffman and Rivera are the only two with 500. Um, so, but he got more at the Cubs then with, uh, with any other team. Yeah, the closest was, uh, but in so in eight years he had 180 saves for the Cubs. In four years he had 160 for the Cardinals. Wow, wow, yeah, he he actually because he got dealt to the Red Sox and then he showed he he ended up resurfacing with the Cardinals and he had a, he had a really good second act with St. Louis. Those were not good Cardinals in our lifetime. It was one of the rare periods where the Cardinals were not uh, in contention, uh, but not for uh, um, not for it wasn't Lee Arthur Smith's fault. Yeah, he uh, he had his best years for the Cubs and the Cardinals. Um, he was okay for the Red Sox. Um, the Cubs and the Cardinals are the only teams that he had an ERA under three for. Okay. Uh, and he had this, he had three hundred and forty of his four hundred seventy eight saves in those in those twelve years. The other six years he had the rest. Um, in his last year, no, I guess last year as a full time no, as last year as full time closer, he had thirty seven saves for the Angels in ninety five. Okay, I remember him uh, pitching against the Cubs for the Expos in '97 yeah. in a game. That was I think his, that was his last season, his last I think. Year. He had five saves for them. Wow! In 25 appearances, he was 39 years old. He uh, he once threatened to quit the Cubs. He was going to go play basketball. He was no, a big man. Nobody's really sure where he was going to go play basketball. He was going to go play basketball. <laughs> um, and he uh, he couldn't see real well. Especially uh, when it started to get dark at Wrigley, so he did a lot of squinting, which I don't yeah. think made batters feel real comfortable. Yeah. Well, especially in the pre-lights era, and it went Dallas Green, and we'll talk about this. We have plenty of decade, we have plenty of years in the '80s to talk about. But what, another one of the features that this whole thing ushered in in 1982 with Tribune ownership and Dallas Green and Harry Carey and the fan club and retiring numbers, and uh, was uh, Dallas Green started scheduling games at 3:05, and I think that was his way of laying the groundwork for night games. Uh, but 3:05 in a ballpark without lights that you can turn on to kill some of the shadows. Uh, I mean, just imagine that, uh, you know, imagine a game at six o'clock end of the game. And here's Lee Smith. <laughs> it's like bright sunshine, squinting like he's Mr. Magoo. <laughs> you know, he can't see anything. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to make a pitcher or a, a hitter too comfortable digging in, in the batter's box, I would think. So, so the, the way this hall of fame was, I mean, let's call it what it was slapped together. 
<laughs> With the typos and the uh, Don Kessingers. This was the easy part for the Cubs. Now, starting next year, when you have to come up with actual classes, you're going to have to answer the question every year until you do it. Where the fuck is Sammy Sosa? He's not under this thing. He was, um, he's not. He was not eligible. There's a stipulation, right, which was not articulated in their thing with the five years. Uh, well, the only I, people they put in um, after the when Sammy would have been again were the were the the five Hall of Famers and then okay. a special exemption for Margaret. So yes. right now they can easily say, well, no, we haven't had to make that decision yet. But starting next, whenever they induct more people, which I'm sure they okay. intend to do annually, that's going to yes. start the question as to where Sammy. Yes. Well, it's going to be. And if they yeah. have any brains at all, which we know they don't, you just put him in next time. And you of get course. Over with. And you never have to deal with it again, but they won't. They will. You don't think so? No. I think they will. I, I actually think. to do that. They won't do it. They'll Why? Go, oh, no. And they'll have to put up with that crap. So they're going to. Because Mark Grace is the one that's. The, you know, everyone's going to be begging for it. They're going to bring in Grace, but not Sosa. I mean, I or, just, given their track record of, of screwing things up, taking easy, easy things and screwing them up, I would guess they won't put him in. Well, they've done it for so long on Sosa that you'd think they'd eventually figure, because they really have. I mean, I know Sam is a little bit complicated. I, I, you know, I have my own sort of complicated thoughts about him because I'm not all in on him overall. But he was, if you're talking about a Hall of Fame, how do you like, like talk about the elephant in the room? Yeah, the guy's got more fucking home runs than Babe. I don't care about the story. It's like, like you have to deal with that. You, you, you can't just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, you can't. He was your, he was your best player. For, Meal ticket. What? Uh, I would say a best decade. player for ten. Yeah, close to a decade. Sure. He, whether he'd share that with like Sandberg and uh, you know, yeah, it was mostly him. Uh, yeah, well, Sandberg and Grace. Once Sandberg retired the first time. Sammy well, was yeah, well, Grace was still producing. Yeah, Grace was producing, a good player, but but Grace, was, no. a star. Yeah, and Sammy started taking off in '96. Yeah, ninety between '96 and '03 for sure. Um, no doubt. That's a significant period of time. It's multiple playoff teams. The guy did things in the playoffs. I mean, the other night, just randomly, I looked up that home run against their BNM. That is one of the most iconic home runs in Cubs history. And it happened in a huge moment. Um, I, I, what, I don't know what else you can say. And again, I'm not a Sammy Stan. Like I, you know, I no, could, and I've done it. And we've pointed out his weaknesses, right? It's, it's not, it's not, you know, we're not, I'm just waving a flag. It's just objectively speaking. How do you how do you uh, uh, avoid that? How do you you can't pretend it didn't happen? It's it's ridiculous. No, and you make a far bigger mess by not doing it than by just doing it. Yeah. Well, it'll be funny if you're right. I don't. Th I think even these dumbasses have to stumble ass backwards into the right decision here because you you have you have to whatever their agenda is, and I I can't even imagine what it was. I don't. He didn't wrong them. I don't think that, you know, they have some sort of a moral sense of wrong due to, you know, uh, performance enhancing drugs that would, I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't get, you know, they, they maybe they just don't know how to deal with how complicated it is. Well, if they don't put Sammy in, how are they going to put Glenn Allen Hill in? You know they want to well. put Glenn Allen Hill in. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, you, they'll have some interesting... Sammy, Sammy's a no, Sammy's a no-brainer. Whether they really have no brains and they don't put him in right away, I don't get. But there are, you know, obviously Grace. Grace is a no-brainer. Goes in next year. Um, and then I, yeah, I mean, how long are they going to wait 
Like if John right. Lester, if John Lester retires after the season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, there's a whole World Series, but there are other guys that like meet a minute. Like a John Lieber might have a case in yeah. my book. I, I'm a John Lieber fan, uh, you know. But uh, so I mean, you're you're, t- so you're talking about guys that played in the '90s. Uh, you know, Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez, yeah, yeah, both no, they're no brainers. Um, Kerry Wood is going to go in. Carry Wood with a bullet, of course. That's a no-brainer. Of course, Dempster's going to weasel his way in. Um, I, was, I was, I was sure they were. Just, he was going to be in this thing, <laughs> and it's going to be. And I wasn't kidding about it. It's going to be the bullshit. He's the only Cub in history to have fifty saves and fifty wins. That's not a thing. And no, who cares? That's not a thing. That's not a lot of either. No, it's just it's a coincidence not. that he did both for one team. If, yeah. If you retire with, you know, I think I think it's like eighty-seven saves and. I mean, it's more than that. It's, but it's not. It's, Mine. it's not a lot. He was not good. He was okay. He had a couple Just, of good uh, years, but he didn't do enough to deserve the anything he's gotten, would, and certainly not this. Would Soriano get him? I would say sure. I don't know if they'll put him in. He, it was his acquisition that led to them uh, making back-to-back postseason appearances for the first times in a hundred years. Yeah. So here's this is done. eighty-seven saves and sixty-seven wins. Jesus Christ! That's nothing. Big fucking deal. And just no no attention to like the two nut punching uh, blown saves in two separate seasons that knocked them out of the playoffs. I mean, just. Um, yeah, fine. Just get it over with if that's what you're going to do. But hey, certainly not in the next class. So, yeah, we don't know. Do they have a limit? Is there going to be five a year? Because like I think now they got it, and I, I didn't see it articulated, but it seems to be, you know, outside of the exceptions like Ant Midge and, and ball players that have already been elected into the Hall of Fame, that it's uh, they, they they put a cap on players whose careers began in the '90s. It seems like so now if they're going to lift that well, now the question is if you didn't if you didn't get in as a player before before they did this thing in 98 whenever they claimed they were doing it which we didn't even know they were doing right right then you had to be a hall you had to be a hall of famer since then yes to get i got in, it just to get okay. in this inaugural thing okay so that was their way around sammy and grace and and all that stuff right they, they didn't need a way around grace because they have no problem embracing him it was sammy that gave them yeah, it's that really, bought it's them all, some it's, time it, this was all to avoid having to have the same yeah they, they, they can't you they say, can't you it, it may have been easier for them to have simply put him in right now with this with just the whole mess True. Just put him in. If, and if they had any self awareness, a new. Uh, hey, sorry because of COVID, Sammy. But here, uh, wanna, wanna, uh, get on Zoom. <laughs> you can talk to the reporters and give a little speech, and then we're done. Uh, they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, if considering all they put into the nostalgia part of it and all the investments into Wrigley Field, you know, if they're really looking to milk all, you know, all of their fans, and there are generations of fans that are unapologetic, Sammy, like guys that, kids that were 10 years old in 1998, right? Uh, I mean, there's a whole wave of people that, that they could appeal to by doing that. And I think they just can't figure it out how because they're fucking stupid. I would expect next next year's class is uh, Mark Grace. Uh, Chip Carey. Uh, gotta have all the greats in there. Jo- uh, Joe Carter as an announcer. He goes yep. with Chip. Uh, Chris Coglin. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The dandy little glove man, Mickey Morandini. He gets. I'd like to make a case for Steve Bouchelle. I mean, the guy held down third base for about five years in the nineties. 
All Star, um, Star Vance Law probably deserves a, a spot. Yeah, maybe Vance will get his day in the sun. He was a, he was a... Yeah, but then they will run into stuff. I guess Starlin probably wasn't around long enough, but now there's the whole no. he's guys suspended. He's probably he's problematic. Again. He already had the one. He already had the thing with the Cubs. Right, early in his career. Yeah. Plus, he's still playing. Like, what is he, Hero well, Bain? I mean, I, like, think, I mean, I when he's done, I don't know that he'll yeah. get in now. Oh, he might not. But who knows? Things can change. Perceptions can change in the future. I think. I think they're not going to be in a hurry to uh, no, to do a- the World Series, guys. I think we're going to probably. There's a little bit of a backlog. It starts with Grace and Sosa. I have to imagine. And I don't. I don't know any other underlooked guys. I mean, they already freaking. I don't know, like, if there's anybody that didn't get in at the expense of Don Kessinger, you know, like, I mean, quite frankly, now I'm getting pissed off that Leon Durham's not in if you're going to well, put in Kessinger, but. You know, we, it's, we joke, we joke, but, you know, that Bane's lowering the bar. Kessinger, I mean, how do you put Kessinger in and not Jason Hayward? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. He's won, he's won gold gloves, too. Well, or my guy. Can't either. Well, well, neither did fucking Kessinger. Or my guy Keith Moreland, um, you know, does Jody Davis? Jody was a two-time All Star. I think Glenn Becker was only a one-time. All-Star. I mean, maybe Becker was there more, but uh, I, so I wonder yeah, I mean, if like Jody, they will Jody, circle back. I can't imagine Jody Davis doesn't get inducted. Um, yeah, playoff team. Um, what about Sarge? Yeah, you know, I mean, end of his career. He was such a character. He was beloved by the left field bleacher bombs. That's a good one. Bob, yeah, Bob Dernier. Yeah, so they probably they, they probably will circle back maybe to some of those guys. I think they'll probably they'll start though. The next wave is going to be that Grace Sosa, and I I just think the World Series guys are going to be too. Like, even though well, there's no World Series guys that are retired really, other than maybe Lester by next year. Who knows? Or Arietta. But it'll still be too soon, I think. Yeah. I think they're going to have to they're, work. I would think they'll do the five-year thing. They'll wait for they're, they're, the retire. And- yeah, they're going to work their way through Grace Sosa and maybe Lee and Ramirez. I mean, you know, if you're going to go with the best, those are the four next ones, right? I guess post uh, post 2000. I don't know if there's a fifth that you can add. I'd throw in John Lieber because he's my guy. But no, we, no, Kerry. It'd be Kerry, of course. That's the next five. That's my prediction. If they do it to five, who knows? Who the fuck knows how these people uh, do this? But if it's five and it's you know the dust has been settled on you know all these past players, then yeah, you know it'll be fun to see how they how they handle the Sosa thing, though. But it's just you know it would be funny if they somehow try to get away with not putting him in next year. <laughs> and just, it's the ultimate elephant in the room. So, um, I was just thinking, you know, if you're, if you're going to put Kessinger in, and they did, what keeps Sean Dunstan out of the Cub Hall of Fame? You got a point, my friend. He was on the 89 team. He was a two-time All-Star like Jody Davis. Um, fan favorite, popular guy. I think I think it's not too early, Andy, uh, for you to We got the Sean O'Meter in there. We don't need the actual player. <laughs> Do they have the Shonometer honored? That guy was in the bleachers. Well, there's a version. One of the versions of the Shonometer is in the real Hall of Fame. In the Cooperstown? Yep. All right. It's on the display. It's, in fact, I think it's almost always up. Yeah, you know, I met the guy who did that. I was at a game in 98. If you can look, Dunstan was at the Indians. He had somewhere bounced around and went to an interleague game. And that guy, and I remember talking to him. He was in the left field bleachers because I think that's where he always sat, right? He's always, it was in the bleachers. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, that's now that's 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 serious. I know he's your favorite player for you know serious and ironic the, reasons. You don't but. think the uh, the career two ninety five on base percentage <laughs> with the Cubs, his OPS plus eighty eight is higher than Kessinger's. Than Kessinger's, yeah. Like you said, once Kessinger's in, then that argument becomes a lot easier to I make. You're gonna have a hard time keeping Louis Valbuena out then too. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. I'll go when they induct uh, Louis. I, in fact, I will give because Louis, you know. Unfortunately, is not around to give his own Correct. speech. I would well, be happy to give the uh-huh. induction speech. Better send that letter to Crane. So yeah, I suppose once they get the all the typos cleared up and the <laughs> the I'll and the plaques I'll plaques put on. away. Um, I look if they fixed it because I made I made fun of them. And um, let's see if they okay. Well, I'm gonna guess they didn't. It was been. Orville overall. I know that that I can tell you. So. Um, yeah, it's fixed. It's, all right. it's, it's Orville now. It was Avril. I believe I posted a screenshot of it, so I have proof Good. that it was Avril. I'm like, I don't think that's right, guys. Uh, let's see. What Louis Valbuena's uh, OPS plus for the... Oh, he's overqualified. 99. Although he only played... Well, here's where they're going to get. He only played three years for the Cubs. Oh, right. And, and I don't think yeah. they can bring him back as an announcer or a coach because he's dead. Well, and the other thing was... Uh, what. Uh, like extensive or uh, notable uh, well, accomplishment that, the, or something? I, the bat flip on yeah, singles. That, right. Well, two things. Uh, he's not only that, but he also appealed his own check swings to third base. That's and that's became a thing. Guys actually do that. People do it now. Do it. And guys do it. Javi still does it. Javi does it. Javi does it, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there yeah, well. The, uh, more than you ever wanted to know about the... Now, yeah. Honestly, you know what? You and I, we spent, what, an hour and a half? Uh, closer to two, I think. Two hours talking about the Hall of Fame. We put more effort into this than they did. Putting the <laughs> thing together. We had a longer conversation about all these guys than anybody on the Cubs did. <laughs> well, I hope they appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'll probably ask us to come in and, re- and reenact this on a sure. special yeah. marquee. And I'll I'll just have to brush up on my Heine Zimmerman because I feel we didn't really it'll we be, didn't really provide much for him. It'll be the panel. It'll be you and me and Al and uh, Bert from Bleacher Nation. Excellent. And Bert will talk about. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he. Should, I don't know. Yeah, he should be. I don't. Well, yeah, I think so. No, I don't. <laughs> the attorney getting I, both sides I of it. Himself into knots about. Uh, yeah, just rhetorical gymnastics. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm pretty clear. I think for the most part, I can't fault them for a lot of these decisions. I, I just it, it sticks in my craw a little bit this overfatuation with the 16 Dorsey era Cubs. And Chuck made a kind of a good point too. Uh, that is almost a pandering to a lot of the aging boomers that still hold on to cable TV because they can't quite navigate the world of streaming, and uh, it's that core audience that is now basically their their oldest, you know, uh, their oldest group demographic and so yeah let's let's get kessinger and beckard in well and, i mean uh, the good thing about the way they did this is it gets because the cubs have a ridiculously long history and a good one for a team that didn't yeah that's only won three world outside series, of the most recent had a lot dis- of great players unpleasantness they basically with this they're up to like the 80s now like you don't have to go back 
Kai Kai Kyler's right. in. Andy Pafko's That's in. That's right. All those guys are in. They don't have all those mustachioed 19th now, century somebody players. Somebody may dig up a guy and be like, "Okay, this guy's not in," but it won't well, be very yeah. many. That's no, yeah, Lon, Somebody might come down the pipe with a Lon Warnicky uh, argument or a Bill Lee because Bill Lee did lead the uh, majors in ERA, which hadn't been done for a pennant winner since Kyle, until Kyle Hendricks did it. Yeah, but you're right. They actually did at least scoop up because uh, I used to say for ages, like, why are they putting up statues for Santo and Banks and and, and Williams? They, those teams never want to pennant where's the gabby hartnett and like well and people are, well nobody knows who those guys are so I, I do appreciate that that those guys get their due guys you know rig stevenson kai kai kyler uh even guys that we hadn't heard of because i don't know my 19th century cubs although you know i now thanks to this i've been a little bit educated now i'm familiar with john clarkson and and king you know, i knew i knew about king kelly oh, but john yeah clarkson, kelly clarkson's dad Right. Yeah, Jimmy sure. Jimmy Ryan and his sweater vest that he played ball in. Um, <laughs> so yeah, dapper, dapper. Jimmy so Ryan. so I I do like these things in spirit. It's just funny how even this family they have such a tough time. Like they they can't get out of their own way. Even rolling this out. Well, and I, why is it in the park? I mean, are they gonna? It's fine. Are during the off season? Are you, are they gonna have access? Are they gonna be hours? Can people come in and actually go to the Hall of Fame? They should have tours if they don't. If in the not, winter. you built all that monstrosity across the you know across uh-huh. the grass patch. You couldn't have built the Hall of Fame there and turned it into a. It's, this thing should be. A That's true. Place. Yeah, it should be a monument. You gotta put uh, it somewhere where people can just come to it. Gallagher Way. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I don't. They don't. Yeah, a lot of shit they just don't think of. No, no, but uh, however it got her by hook or by crook, it's here, and it's, you know. Shouldn't there have been, this is the other thing. Okay, so they have, last I checked, they have a they have a TV network that, they, there's never anything on this worth watching. The point that's now, what they, you, they, that's a good point. Like, the, how come this wasn't, like, the unveiling of the, why wasn't this a three-hour TV show tonight? Or a three-week one. Yeah, they right, could, they, 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 out by, like, um category or decade or yeah whatever, and leave some suspense as to the last night oh shit who isn't in yet they, Do they not have like they just the they, budget for they, they threw it at the bot they literally just this was a sentence at the bottom of a press release about giving Dude. themselves a fucking plaque do they not have the budget for like, you know, the production of like, you know, people like researching and getting video and photos and like doing a whole thing that w- you could stretch it out to three months or do they just don't know how to do it or don't want to, or like, I just, that you're right. There's so much source material they could use to like market around and just I mean, sort of like Kyle and I talked about during, you know, the run up to the trade deadline, they have their own TV network. Every time one of those guys got traded, you should have been able to turn to Marquee and they're sitting there at the desk talking about who got traded and who they got back. And then you make Jed come on and defend the trade and you do all that stuff because people are actually watching. Instead, they threw together like a half hour trade deadline special that aired, I think maybe in the night after the trade deadline. It's like, why do you have a fucking TV channel? then? What do you need it for? If you're never going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's astonishing. So in spite of themselves, the Hall of Fame is here, and I I enjoyed going through it just just to reinforce what we already kind of knew and learn learn a few new things. Hippo Vaughn, yeah, or my favorite Heine Zimmerman. Yeah, who doesn't love Heine? <laughs> who doesn't like a little bit of Heine in their life? All right, yeah, well that was fun. So next next time we will get back to our we will spin the wheel and we will get back to a season. That'll work. Because people are like, hey, you haven't done this for like three weeks. I'm like, well, right. we've been working on this Hall of Fame. <laughs> weeks. 
their research. Right, the fact that it really started like two minutes before I hit record. I'm like, hey, you just want to go through the Hall of Famers instead of right, seven? Right. Okay, and then we did. So. Right, we had thoughts. All right, well, until next time. Sounds good. All we'll right. see you then. Thanks. Many of us have herpes.